That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I like to think I'm a good multitasker. But, you know, all the studies will tell you that if you're multitasking, you're, you're not doing any one of those things very well. Our sports world is more frequently asking us to multitask, isn't it? I think it's giving us more offerings. The seasons are longer. The Super Bowl stretching into uh, mid-February now. I mean, that's all new, right? Remember... Mr. October, Reggie Jackson, now well now it's Mr. November. Remember that the Super Bowl used to happen in late January. Now it's mid-February. High school football was on Friday night. College football was on Saturday afternoon. Not anymore. Is the sports world asking too much of you? Had a conversation today with the Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark. Man, is that guy a salesman. Pretty slick guy, but he's a salesman. And I don't mean that in a bad way. He's always selling. Had a conversation with him today, and, you know, he sort of talked about the media landscape. And in, in the course of the conversation, I don't know if you've ever done this, I found my mind drifting a little bit as he was talking, and my mind was drifting to the, the, the fact that you are being asked to multitask as a sports fan. You're being asked to be a college football and an NFL fan at the same time and an NBA fan at the same time. And, oh, here comes Major League Soccer's uh, media day. And, oh, the pitchers and catchers are reporting. And we've just had the NBA trade deadline, hadn't had the All-Star game yet. There's an exhaustion that I'm talking about in the sports landscape that is very interesting to me. And I want your feedback on it. Are they asking too much of you? Are they asking you to go wall-to-wall, too long, too many games, too many days, Thursday night football, Monday night football, Sunday afternoon football, Saturday playoff games, Sunday night football? You know what I'm talking about. I think they're asking a lot of you as a sports fan and a lot of me as a media member and a sports fan. Like, let's not forget that, you know, what I have found in just covering the conference of that is called the Pac-12 and covering some NBA and covering Major League Baseball and covering the NFL over the years. You know, I used to be a beat reporter when I first started out covering college basketball, and there was a beginning to the season and there was an end to the season, and at the end of the season, the boss would call you in, and you'd do kind of this post-mortem on the season. You'd talk about how you covered the team. You'd talk about, you know, what stories are going to be there in the off season. And then the boss would say, hey, you've worked uh, all this uh, time with no time off. Uh, take a month off. Who's taking a month off anymore? You can't do it. Between media rights deals 
expansion, scheduling changes, Ohio State backing out of a game with Washington today. That's news. Like, the B reporter can't afford to be on vacation. Like, it's a 24-7, 365 news cycle. And our sports calendar, and, you know, the pandemic probably amplified it or maybe put it under a microscope. Our sports calendar was wobbling anyway. It was becoming oversaturated. And I noticed it first with kind of Major League Baseball expanding their playoffs, the NBA, you know, putting uh, half the league into the playoffs, the NFL, you know, uh, expanding the wild card, the uh, NHL playoffs dragging out a little longer. Major League Soccer season sort of, uh, you know, would start like right when the championship game finished. It was like they're starting again. Like, did they? How much time did they take off? But it's all designed to monetize the sports world in the best possible way. All of these entities are looking for new revenue streams. I don't care if you're the WWE, the UFC, Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10, the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, XFL, the AAFL, whatever that is. I don't care what you are, you're looking for new revenue, and you're looking for fresh revenue and TV revenue. And, oh, my gosh, they're going to put pickleball games on television? 300-plus hours next year on ESPN? I'm kind of wondering what what they expect us to do. Like, something's got to give. It has become so crowded, I feel like they're asking too much of you. Does it feel exhausting to you? Does it feel like the sports season goes too long? Do you miss the days where the season ended, somebody threw a parade, and then there was kind of a lull for you to think about, you know, other stuff for a while? Or maybe just sit on your porch and sip lemonade and, and contemplate. I don't know. I don't feel like our sports landscape does it anymore. Maybe it works for some of you. But I'm looking around right now and I'm going, gosh, how long or how far away are we from college football saying, hey, the NFL is, is uh, infringing on our territory too much. We need to move the college football season two weeks earlier. We really need to get into August because by September – we're in competition with the NFL, and the NFL's eyeing Saturdays going, you know what, why are we not playing some Saturday games? Why are we playing all the games on Sunday afternoon? Why don't we, why don't we have a couple of Saturday games and compete with some college football? And college football would lose that in that head-to-head battle. I think it's a fascinating conversation. I want to know what you make of the crowded sports landscape it feels like a dance floor with too many people on it. And I know when you were younger, you're in your uh, your early 20s, you saw a dance floor like that and you went, oh, that's right where I want to be. And you boogied out to the middle of the floor. But as you, uh, you know, you grow up, you get a job, you have a family, you uh, you get married, have a family, have kids, you're at soccer games and, and uh, dance recitals, and uh, you're looking at that dance floor going, you know, maybe I'll just uh, stand over here and watch it for a while. And then pretty soon you're going, I don't even, I, you know what, I don't have time to go to the club. Maybe I'm speaking from personal experience. But I want to know what you see when you see the landscape of college athletics. Because I had that conversation today. John Willer and I interviewed the Big 12 commissioner, Brett Yormark. And this is a guy who I think has done a good job of being aggressive, a good job of being a salesperson, but he's talking about some things that I want to share with you. You know, he's talking about college basketball expanding and becoming a bigger revenue-generating sport in the television world. He says it's been undervalued. I ask him that question because I've been looking hard 
at basketball in particular, college basketball, and going, how come it's only worth 20 cents on the dollar in most conferences? It's worth less in the SEC because football generates so much revenue. But why is college basketball not as important to television as college football is? And your mark's saying, you know what, we've got some data and we've got some ideas and my fear is that the Big 12 Conference is going to try to go a little basketball only. Maybe they'll get in a fight with the Pac-12 over Gonzaga here in the coming weeks. But I feel like they are going to try to put more college basketball in your television set, raise some more revenue, generate some fresh money that wasn't found before, because they know they're tapped out when it comes to college football. They're looking for new money. 503 417 7575. Help me out. You tell me. Like, maybe you like it. Maybe you like the idea that you can turn on the TV at any time and you can see something. You Somebody's sweating at all times on, on television with live sports programming. And I'm not talking about, like, the good old days where you, you turned on the TV at 2 a.m. and you saw a cricket match. I'm talking about, like, you can turn on college basketball, the NBA. I don't have to hunt. It's all right there for you. It's readily available. Maybe there's a demand for it, or maybe, just maybe, we have a saturation of the market, and some of you, like me, are going, you know what? I don't have the bandwidth for all of this. I don't care about some of these small conference games that are going on because I can barely keep up with the major conferences in the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball and hockey and UFC and WWE and what else? 503-417-7575. Let's talk about it. Steven, when I bring this up, you're a junkie, right? I know you, and I mean that in the best way. You love your sports. But is there just, is there a little too much of it out there for us right now? I think you're right on it. And I think what it what it does is it makes it hard to fully understand all the teams or all the schools in a specific sport, right? Like, I love college basketball, but, like, I have to dedicate time to watch teams in the Mountain West if I want to understand, like, how good they are or even teams at the bottom of the Pac-12. I think with all the sports out there, it makes it so, you know, we can watch the big games, right? You know, if you're an Oregon fan, you're going to be watching the Oregon-Washington game today. But, like, if you're just a normal basketball fan, you're probably not going to watch that game, right? Because there's just so much other stuff out there I think that goes for college football and for football, and then they highlight these games so much of just the big games, the big Showtime games, that we don't understand just, like, how big it could actually be across the whole landscape of everything. So I, I agree with you that there is a lot of sports, and it does saturate a little bit. It makes it so it's much harder to be an expert, I think, over the whole game rather than just, like, a specific conference. Like, I think we do a really good job of highlighting the Pac-12, right? Like, we really focus on the Pac-12, and we really get a really good understanding. And you can look at that based off your picks this year, John. Like, you were on top of all these games. It's because you watch the Pac-12 night in, night out, and you are focused. You're studying it. But, like, if you had to do that for the Big Ten or the SEC every game, you wouldn't have a good record because you can't actually understand all the conferences at once. And I think that's where the problem is. Yeah, that's a really good point about kind of specializing in a sport because we all used to do that. Like we used to say, hey, the NFL is my thing. I can remember being in grade school and there was such a rhythm to the season that, you know, we all saw the games on Sunday. We go to school on Monday. There'd be a lot of trash talking and a lot of the disseminating of what happened on Sunday and a bunch of us mimicking, uh, you know, uh, Monday night footballs da, 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 and doing that out on the playground. And then Monday night football came, and it went, and then we got a break. And there was nothing going on, 
There was no XFL. There was no UFC. There was no, you know, midweek three games and a college game and all this stuff. It was just kind of a lull where we were left alone with Barney Miller and Three's Company and waiting for Sunday again or maybe Saturday if you were a college football fan. And so you're right about, you know, I dove in deep on the Pac-12, and I was picking the Pac-12 games at a rate that was abnormal. But I I got a feel and I got to know the teams and I felt like I could accurately predict on a game day if they were going to show up to play, how they would travel and by and large, you know, I picked the games at a higher clip than I've ever picked them, and I went on a ridiculous tear in the middle of the season where I just felt like I was locked in, and I could pretty much tell you what these teams were going to do on a given day. But then all of a sudden the, the NFL playoffs came, and i got to be honest with you, I started looking at those games, and I was lost. And I was lost because I hadn't watched them all year. I was lost because I felt like there was a little bit of an NBA feel to some of the NFL games down the stretch where – there were just some teams that just showed up and did not perform. And I thought, gosh, is are the players tired? Are they playing too many games? Uh, have these games lost their meaning? And I wonder about the viewing audience, when you go to tune into a game, how much you could really get into a game if they're just on all the time. Now, Peter, I know you're more of an NBA guy and you're really locked into it, but do you feel like there's too much out there and there's too much content. Well, first of all, shout out Barney Miller. I'm glad we got a reference on the best, uh, the, the best baseline in a TV theme song ever. Oh yeah, uh, but that's good stuff. <laughs> but no, I, I I completely agree with you. I mean, it's to the point where it's it's work because it's literally work for us. But like, I sort of have to silo myself off to really pick and choose. Like, yeah, I'm an NBA guy, but that goes back before I was even doing this for a living. There's two much out there I have to choose what I focus on is it going to be you know is it going to be the Atlanta Braves is it going to be the Rams and I, I it was a conscious choice it's going to be the Trailblazers this is what I can devote my energy to so at this point I mean I've sort of shoehorned myself in there I keep tabs on it and I'm really kind of limited in the other stuff because it's it's non-stop and I do you know sports is kind of always on the TV but I'm not really able to to dive deep and understand you know because there's always narrative subtext to to all these games all these seasons all these things that that these athletes are going through i'm not able to track it all so i have to really pick and choose so it's blazers it's kind of my teams in the other sports and then baseball's just for me because i know you know not a lot of people need that from a, a work context from us so that's something i sit down and just enjoy on my own yeah and i think i don't think you're alone i think a lot of people are in that position where they're trying to, like you've picked Lane, as you said, and and I think everybody's kind of being forced to do that because we just don't have the bandwidth to do everything. And I used to. I used to be able to say I could watch all the games that were on or available on my TV or my cable package or whatever. But now, you know, I've got Hulu, I've got Sling, I've got, you know, Amazon, and I'm and I'm turning it on, and I'm like, oh, the Lakers are playing right now. Oh, Utah is playing basketball right now. Oh, the Ducks are playing against UCLA right now. Oh, Oregon State is playing right now. There's just so much on all the time that I feel like, you know, we've got to make some decisions. And I kind of wonder if we'll hit a breaking point where people will just go, it's too much. I have to tune out. I can't do the NFL, or I can't do the NBA, or I can't do Major League Baseball. And maybe some of you are already there. Brett Yormark is the Big 12 Conference Commissioner. He did a 30-minute interview with John Wilner and I today. I pulled a couple of cuts that I think are the best parts. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of that talk. And, and the three things that really stuck with me 
in talking with the Big 12 commissioner. He says there's no fight going on with the Pac-12 right now. Do you believe him? Talk about it next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Beautiful sunny day out. Uh, you know, I noticed this with the kids. The kids at school are all sick. I told Judah this yesterday. I said, matter of time in our household, it's coming for us. Uh, you know, everybody's got the colds or the crud or whatever it is, but it's uh, kind of that thing that goes on in school. It's like a petri dish over there at school. Your your wife works at a school, Stephen. She's a teacher and a coach. She coming home, bringing home all those uh, illnesses that they get in schools. Yeah, sometimes she is. And then with the two kids now in school, like, yeah, I got to avoid them at all costs when I come home. No, no, I don't. I don't but, uh, no, I mean, it's just like, yeah, just like little stuff, right? You know, it's just like the little coughs and sniffles here and there, but nothing too bad, luckily. Yeah, the kids both kind of have it, and we're like, uh, Anna said, you know, look out. It's coming for us. And I, know, I go, I know. Uh, today, Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner, did an interview with John Wilner and I. Uh, it was interesting. We've been trying to get your mark on the podcast, the Konzano and Wilner podcast, for several months. I mean, dating back to, like, September of last year. And a couple of times he agreed to do it and then rescheduled on us. Agreed to do it and rescheduled on us. And so much so that I kind of felt like he was kind of big-timing us. Can I say that? He was trying to big-time us. And... Now, he, he set this date, February 15th today, as the time of the podcast interview. And even last night, I told Wilner, I said, he's going to cancel on us in the morning. You'd be sure of that. Happy Valentine's Day. And uh, he did not cancel. I gather that he had something positive to talk about, given that Oklahoma and Texas, have their exit to the SEC has been negotiated. Uh, the Pac-12's media rights negotiations are dragging on. The Big 12, they went early to market. They're done. Your Mark joined us for a 35-minute interview, and I thought it was pretty interesting. And I pulled away three or four little cuts that kind of give you the flavor of what happened. You want the full podcast, you can get it wherever you get a podcast. Just search Konzano and Wilner. But here's Brett Yormark, the Big 12 Conference Commissioner. I asked him about the benefits of negotiating his media rights deal early. And did he leave money on the table? Because people in the media world told me that was a mistake for them not to go on to the open market. Your mark thinks differently. Here he is. Certainly didn't leave any money on the table. As you're reading now, you know, the media landscape's changing. The, the, the big media companies are really more focused on what they need versus what they want. I think we're reading about that every day. It's a changing land landscape. And not that I had any foresight uh, into it, but obviously uh, with our partners Endeavor, um, we, we, we strategized and we, we looked at the landscape. We looked at who was going to be in the market at the same time. I mean, uh, when I was in Phoenix, you, you know, everyone was there talking to the media partners. I mean, think about, UFC being out there right now, the NBA, CFP, WWE, it, it, it's a, it's a, you know, crowded space right now. 
And by going early, I was able to gain the attention of arguably two of the biggest media brands in the world. And they saw our vision. Uh, they realized where we were going. They, they liked it. and They doubled down on it. Doubled down, your mark says. Uh, $31.6 million per school per year. Uh, it pales in comparison to the 72 point whatever million that the Big Ten members are getting. But I'll be curious to see if the Pac-12 can beat that number. Pac-12 sources tell me they will beat that number. But the longer this negotiation drags on for the Pac-12, I think the more uncertainty, the more unrest, the more questions are raised by all of that. Uh, I talked with your Mark uh, about the expansion question, uh, as did Wilner. There are two questions in this clip. It's like two and a half minutes long. But, you know, what is the criteria that Yormark has when he looks at expansion. And, oh, by the way, is men's basketball on the table? Feels to me like the networks themselves, the media companies, have undervalued men's basketball. 20 cents on the dollar, we're told it's worth. But a brand like Gonzaga, if it's on the open market in the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and everybody else is saying, hey, come play in our conference, is it possible that ESPN, Fox, and some others are going to come to the table in a more meaningful way than they ever had for men's basketball? I posed that question to your mark. You're going to hear Wilner and I pepper him with a couple questions here. Expansion uh, has come up a number of times. You've talked about it. Others have talked as well. Obviously, the Big Ten went. Uh, what's your criteria when you talk about adding members to the Big 12 in football? And where does basketball fit in that, in your mind? It feels like basketball, men's basketball in particular, may be undervalued in some of these conferences. John, that's a great question. So when I think of expansion, I think about it in, in, a, in a couple of ways. Performance, cultural fit. Um, I, I also look at time zone and geography. Um, and it, it, so, you know, we, we go through this modeling, if you will. Um, uh, you know, is it the right fit for us? And, um, you know, I can, I continue to, to think about expansion for all the right reasons and what's going to be additive to our conference, um, uh, in every way possible. Um, when you think about basketball specifically, I do feel that basketball, uh, is undervalued in this industry. Um, I, and I've got numbers and data to show it. But putting that aside for a minute, I just think it's been undervalued and it's been bundled with football. And um, I think at some point in time, that value proposition needs to change. And obviously, I, I speak to that from a position of strength because we are the number one conference in America when you think about uh, college basketball. And um, at the right time, I'm sure we're going to be able to monetize it. Um, so I think there's real upside there going forward. What does that look like when you when you talk about basketball? Because I've heard you know others talk to Mark Few at Gonzaga about you know he mentioned a, a basketball only conference that could sprout up in the future. In your mind, is that a pipe dream? Is that reality? What do you see on the horizon? No, listen, I, I don't get into the the what ifs of basketball only conference. I can say that obviously, you know, football drives the day in the moment. Um, and you've, you guys have talked about that and we know that be, to be fact, but I, while at the same time, I feel basketball is undervalued 
And I think we have an opportunity to monetize basketball in a way that hasn't been done before. And it's certainly something I'm thinking about it. So if the opportunity ever exists, we're within the construct of what makes sense for expansion, where as part of that, we can double down on basketball and further cement our leadership position. It's certainly something that I'm willing to consider. Look, I'm uh, now thinking that Brett Yarmark in the Big 12, that maybe football they've sort of exhausted what they can do in football or maybe they you know obviously with the four teams that are coming in and texas and oklahoma leaving they've kind of made some football moves but now i'm looking at you know this this next phase for them and i'm wondering how gonzaga would fit into that and i'm wondering if you're gonzaga you know it's interesting because we had mark few on the show and i thought few was really candid in talking about, you know, his desire to maybe be with the haves or the landscape of the shifting landscape of college athletics, you know, where does Gonzaga fit? They're a basketball-only school. Granted, they've earned more money in the NCAA tournament than uh, than anybody in America in the last ten years. Like they have really, um, they have really made some hay. And so, I'm kind of thinking. Does Gonzaga just want to be loved? Like, is the takeaway from from uh, you know that conversation with Mark Few? Is it hey, you know, there's a bunch of expansion and realignment going on, and Gonzaga in the WCC where they where they make all the rules and they have it their way, maybe they just want some love. Like nationally, maybe they just want people to go, oh yeah, we like Gonzaga. Maybe that's what their objective was because they have it pretty good in the WCC. They make the rules. They have a clear path to the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, they, they've had some troubles this year with St. Mary's, but in most years, Gonzaga just, you know, skates to a one seed, two seed, and looks really good doing it. Um, do they just want to be wanted? more? You know, like a kid wanting to be recruited. Um, or do they really want to move? And if they want to move, is the right move for them to go to the Pac-12 where they would presumably get less money and they would join a conference that doesn't have a great great depth to its basketball brand and they would slide into the space previously occupied by UCLA as a Pac-12 member in 2024 and beyond and basically compete with Oregon and Arizona uh, at the top of the conference and you know have to play Colorado, Oregon State and some others in their season or do they want to go to the Big 12 where some of the best basketball in the country is being played? Do they want to play Baylor? Do they want to play Kansas? Do they want to, you know, mix it up and make a little more money? Now, I have mixed feelings about it, and I've talked to coaches today about that, and I said, you know, what would you do? And by and large, the coaches went back to the idea that Gonzaga's got it made in the WCC. But I just wonder if the Big 12 and Brett Yormark start dangling dollars and going, hey, do you want to play uh, against Baylor, against Texas Tech, against uh, against Kansas? Do you want to play in this conference? Can you recruit better playing in this conference than ever before? And keep in mind, Tommy Lloyd leaves Gonzaga for Arizona, and you know the dynamic changed with Gonzaga's recruiting profile. Now, can 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 Mark Few? get back to recruiting a little better by being in a better conference. It's an interesting conversation. Coming up, uh, I asked Brett Yormark about all the fighting 
between the Pac-12 and the Big 12. His answer surprised me. Uh, are they fighting, or are they going to make up and be friends again? Leave it here. Back to the bald Face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up at 4 o'clock, we're going to go to Sand Dog, San Diego. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton will be joining us to talk about San Diego State. I told you I wanted to uh, find out what the Pac-12 is finding out. Uh, we're going to talk to Hacksaw Hamilton about how San Diego State would fit in the Pac-12. We'll do a uh, segment a day. We'll go after SMU tomorrow, maybe UNLV on Friday or maybe early next week. And uh, we'll try to uh, get through the entire conference this way. Uh, Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner today, uh, did an exclusive interview with John Wilner and myself. Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast, is where you can listen to the whole 30 minutes. But I've given you a couple minutes of his talking, and I want to go a little deeper here. It, it, it's, it's no secret, no surprise, that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 have been at odds. George Klyovkov on Pac-12 Media Day uh, got a little bit ticked off at the Big 12 Conference, sort of lost his uh, patience a little bit, so to speak, and took some shots at uh, those who are launching grenades at the Pac-12 Conference. Klyovkov sort of talked about, um, you know, the, uh, the fact that uh, you've got a conference that is uh you know trying to poach uh here he is talking at uh pac-12 media day on this show you know at some point you get tired of people trying to destabilize your conference and you got to hit back a little bit and listen i in the grand scheme of things having a healthy big 12 and a healthy pac-12 would be good you know to have both those in the power five and to have those votes in the room would be helpful um, at the same time, you know, we've been taking shots for the last four weeks, and I was just tired of it. Yeah, he was tired of this. This is what Brett Yormark said as part of Big 12 Media Day. What excites me most about joining the Big 12 is the transformative moment in front of all of us today. We have an opportunity to grow and bi build the Big 12 brand and business, be aspirational, define our point of difference, all while never losing our commitment to always compete and develop our student-athletes at the highest levels. Moments like these do not happen often, and we must seize them and make the most of them. It will require incredible work and collaboration. One thing is for sure, there is no doubt the Big 12 is open for business. We will leave no stone unturned to drive value for the conference. Just as I pledge to the board, we will be bold and humble, aggressive and thoughtful, and innovative and creative, all in an effort to position the conference in a way that not only grows the Big 12 brand and business, but makes us a bit more contemporary. Look, uh, George Klyovkov obviously took offense to that. I asked Brett Yormark, the, PAC, the Big 12 commissioner, about the fighting between the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Is it good? For the ecosystem, 
Here's the question and answer. But when you mention expansion, no matter what the context is, where you are, people automatically think you're targeting existing Pac-12 schools. Is that the case? I'm not existing. I'm not targeting anyone specifically. You know, I've, I said, and I've been saying it, I've been pretty transparent and intentional that we'd like that fourth time zone to create more value for our, t- for our media partners. You know, we're, we're entering a third time zone, obviously, with our expansion that becomes official uh, in July with, you know, the four great new schools coming into our conference. But would I like to be a national conference in all the different time zones and ge- from a geography standpoint, have our Big 12 flag all over the country? 100%. Um, and we'll see where it, where it ends up. Obviously, it's a fluid process. There's a lot uh, at stake out there. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see where we end up, but it is certainly something I think about daily. Um, and it's been part of my vision since I've been here and I, and, and I've been very public about it. Since maybe July, last July, the, the PAC 12 and the big 12 have been pitted against each other. Grenades flying back and forth, all that stuff. I'm focused on the ecosystem. Is it good for the overall health of college athletics to have the big 12 and the PAC 12 fighting? I, I just want to, you know, kind of go on the record. No one's fighting. I mean, I, I have a great relationship with George. You know, we have a collegial re- re- relationship. I've known George for years. You know, I believe in this industry that you can partner with all of your colleagues and all for all the right reasons. But at the same time, know that from time to time you're going to compete. And that's the world we live in. That's the world I came from. Uh, you know, when I was the CEO of the Brooklyn Nets, You'd be at board meetings with your contemporaries from around the league, and everyone is thinking about what's in the best interest of the sport and the NBA. And then you leave that room, and you also know that as much as you've spent three or four days thinking about what's in everyone's best interest, you are all going to compete. For players, you're going to compete in a, in a particular market. Um, and and I use that mindset here, too. I mean, I, I, I look to partner with all of my colleagues in the power five as often as I can. And when the opportunity exists, but there is going to be those moments when we compete and that's just life. So we're not going after the PAC 12. The PAC 12 is not going after us. George and I have a nice relationship. The media has turned it into something different, but from my standpoint, I have a good relationship with all of my colleagues. It's important to me on a personal and professional level to grow those relationships but in time, but it, there will be those moments where we compete, and that's okay. Look, I don't buy for a second that there isn't animosity. I also look. You're you're talking about college athletics, where the spirit of the game is rooted in the uh, the academics of the university life and campus life. This isn't like Pepsi and Coke fighting over market share. This isn't like you know retailers battling against Amazon uh, to uh, to make it this is supposed to be two major conferences that exist under the umbrella of the NCAA and and so I think there's a question for college athletics that's kind of buried in Brett Yormark's answer there like college athletics has a decision to make and it's probably in the process of making this decision right now where they have to decide if they're going to be, um, uh, you know, uh, an entity that is all about making money and all about revenue streams 
and all about exposure, and I think the Big Ten kind of picked their path, uh, or are they going to try to balance that with academic life, uh, the, the air quotes here, student-athlete equation? I heard Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, talk about that. Like, there is a tension that exists in college athletics between, you know, look, do we sell all the way out and do we just become like pro sports or do we try to hold on to a bit of that collegial academia feel where we work together as entities and we don't try to kill each other because what's good for the ecosystem is for us all to thrive and exist and coexist. And at the SEC teams need need opponents to play. Like, you know, the SEC doesn't want the Big Sky Conference to go away. It won't have anybody to play in those non-conference games that they play four times a year against teams that they know they're going to beat, and they pay them $750,000 to travel across the country. Um, you know, and and by, by extension of that, I kind of feel like the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the ACC, and the SEC all should be interested in the Pac-12 existing and being able to do business and thrive because – you know, if there is no Pac-12, if there is no Big 12, if there is no ACC, if it's just the Big Ten against the SEC, that'll work in football for a little while. But it doesn't create the atmosphere that college athletics was born in. And maybe that's dead. Maybe I'm Pollyanna and I'm just sitting back here talking about something that doesn't exist anymore. But I think there's a real question in there for Brett Yormark and the other Power Five Conference commissioners where they have to decide, like, you know, what are you about? What do you want college athletics to be? Is it going to be kind of this, you know, look, even within the uh, respective campus at the University of Oregon, let's use that as an example, or Oregon State, the football program is subsidizing volleyball, baseball, softball, track and field, women's basketball, it's subsidizing the rest of the athletic department. Like there's a there's a uh, formula there that is very much about the academic life and campus life and the culture of college athletics that you know isn't all about capitalism and free enterprise and trying to make as much money as you can possibly make uh, in football. Um, there you know there's a subsidy going on. The subsidization model is is real. So. If they're going to move away from that, you're not just talking about trying to kill all of the other conferences and get yours. You're talking about trying to kill the sports on your own campus that don't make money. Because what are they doing? They're just sucking from the bottom line. Leave it here. Our big splash is still ahead. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Got a little bit of snow the other day, and the place we live, we kind of live, uh, we live in this sweet spot where wherever it snow, whenever it snows, we always get a little snow, but I noticed like a lot of my friends that were like, what are you talking about? It didn't snow, it didn't snow where we are, it didn't snow at my house, didn't, like even a block away, no snow, no snow. Uh, yeah, there was a little bit of snow. The kids were really bummed because they went off to school, 
And even though there was just a dusting of snow, they were looking out the window longingly as I uh, threw snowballs at the car and they drove away. And uh, what I did, though, is I made some snowballs and I put them in the freezer. And uh, I just remembered they were in the freezer. And so I told the six-year-old, hey, there's some snowballs in the freezer. And then I, I forgot. You know what happens to a snowball when you put it in the freezer? It turns into a rock. So, uh, yeah, she's out there about to do some damage in the driveway. And I'm waiting for her eight-year-old sister to howl in pain as she gets hit with a uh, a boulder uh, the size of a snowball. So that that's coming down the pipeline. Did you grow up here, Stephen? I don't I don't know where you grew up. I where did, you grew yeah. up in the area. Yeah, I grew did, up uh, in Milwaukee. Did it snow a bit in your area? Like, did you look forward to that once a year where you got a little bit of snow? I mean, I wish, right? Like, I feel like uh, where I was, it didn't really snow every year. But yeah, when it did snow, I was I was all about it. The kids are just all about it in a way where it was it was like 5.30 in the morning on, I want to say it was Tuesday morning. I don't even know what day it is. It's Wednesday. It was Monday morning, okay? At 5.30 in the morning, the 8-year-old the bursts through the bedroom doors like it's a home invasion and announces it's snowing. Uh, Anna gasped. I'm a little lighter sleeper, so I heard, like, the last two steps before she hit the door. And uh, she was so excited uh, about the fact that there was a little bit of snow on the sidewalk out front of the house. I don't really get it, but I didn't grow up like that. Peter, did you grow up? Did you, like, look forward to the snow, or did you drive to the snow? What was your childhood like? Yeah, I grew up just, you know, like, 45 minutes south of here in wine country in the Willamette Valley. And so we would get it, like, once, maybe twice a year. And oftentimes it was underwhelming. I'm all excited, like any kid, man, I'm going to go sledding down the hill, and I'm going to get in a snowball fight with my friends. And every couple years you would get something like that, but a lot of times it would be that really disappointing fake snow. You know what I mean? Yeah, just that yeah, light yeah. dusting. Yep. And as soon as you try to put it together, it melts in your hands. It was enough. Like, maybe there was enough to make a snowball or two, like, mm -hmm. with the tr what was on top of the trash cans is what I used. And now the six-year-old's out there throwing it at her sister, so I'm sure I'm going to get busted for that. Uh, let's bring it to our big splash, the one thing you need to know today. Got some news. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, no doubt, uh, in a couple of few years, the uh, the national media is going to criticize Washington for playing a weak non-conference schedule in 2024 and 2025. But it's not the Huskies' fault. Home and home football series against Ohio State that was scheduled for 2024 and 2025 has been canceled. The Buckeyes have informed uh, Washington that they will not play the games. They will uh, abide by the terms of the contract, including liquidated damages. Uh, the Buckeyes were supposed to come to Husky Stadium in September of 2024, and then the Huskies were going to go back to Columbus the next season. Jen Cohen, the athletic director at the University of Washington, said that uh, she's very disappointed for the student-athletes. She said, quote, everyone has had these dates circled for a number of years, and we were looking forward to these opportunities to compete against the Buckeyes. They're now in the process of trying to find new opponents for the uh, 2024 and 2025 seasons. Uh, it's going to be hard to uh, replace Ohio State. 
Um, for those of you wondering, like, could this be fallout from USC and UCLA to the Big Ten? It could. We'll need to know more. But they have canceled the home-and-home. Home. Ohio State has canceled that home-and-home home with Washington. Two years from now, no doubt, uh, you know, there will be criticized Washington for not playing a tough schedule. But keep in mind, Ohio State uh, backed out of the deal here, and uh, the Buckeyes have avoided having to play uh, Washington. It gets me thinking about non-conference matchups. Like, if you're a Washington fan, who do you really want to play? Like, Ohio State's pretty sweet. Like, that's an opportunity to play a program that is a perennial contender. You get to go there. They're going to come to your place. It's a big deal. That was a big one for that 2024 home football schedule. Like, that, was, that game was going to sell some tickets, some season tickets. So it gets, gets me thinking about Oregon and Oregon State and their non-conference schedules. Um, you know, who would you want to see these teams play? Like, Oregon visited Ohio State a couple of seasons ago with Mario Cristobal. Uh, Oregon State, uh, we have seen them uh, go to a variety of different places, including Ohio State, to play Michigan before that. But, you know, I'm looking at the uh, upcoming football schedules for the Oregon Ducks, and, you know, they played Georgia uh, last year in, in Atlanta. Uh, that was a big deal uh, in the early part of the season. It ended up not being a great outcome for Oregon, but it was uh, essentially like sticking their head into the mouth of a, a roaring lion. Next season, Oregon will play at Texas Tech. Uh, they'll get Portland State at home, and they'll get Hawaii at home. They'll play. Uh, they'll get Texas Tech at home in 2024. And uh, you know, you look into the future. Oklahoma State at home in 2025. Then at Oklahoma State in 2026. Baylor in 2027 and 2028, home and home. Michigan State in 29 and 30. Uh, Ohio State on the schedule, 2032-2033 for the Ducks. Don't hold your breath on that one. A lot can change, as Washington has pointed out uh, today. But for, uh, for Oregon State, um, you got uh, an opportunity for Oregon State to play some games as well. I'll just kind of rip through the big ones. Uh, next season... The, you know, it's San Diego State. Beyond that, in 2024, it's Purdue at home at Texas Tech in 2025. Home against Texas Tech in 2026. Coming up next, Hacksaw Hamilton. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, we've talked a lot about Pac-12 expansion. Will it be SMU? Will it be UNLV? Will it be San Diego State? Is Rice in this thing? What's going on with Boise State and Fresno State? They don't move the needle for a lot of people. But San Diego State has done some things in the last couple of few years that have helped position that university for possible inclusion. The academic side of the campus, they've added a doctorate degree that you can earn on campus. The presidents and chancellors of the Pac-12 love that. From the sports side, they've added Snapdragon Stadium. But there's nobody more qualified to talk about what San Diego State is, what they could be, and how they fit than our next guest. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Do you know Hacksaw? He's been on this show before, and people in Southern California 
will know him as the sportscaster, radio show host, based in San Diego. Hacksaw and Hayworth in the mornings on San Diego Sports Leader, the mighty 1090 for days. Hacksaw has been a fixture in Southern California, hosting a daily four-hour talk show for about 19 years there. And, uh, you know, Hacksaw Hamilton writing and still at it, joining us now live via satellite. How are you, sir? John, nice to chat with you. You kind of covered the waterfront in terms of all the all the topics on the table. Uh, this is such an intriguing time uh, in the Pac-12 conference. I think it's an enormously challenging time for the new commissioner, George Klievkov, obviously to clean up the mess that Larry Scott left behind. And I think it's a very much a troubling time because although I'm based here in San Diego, I do a lot of stuff out of Los Angeles. With the defection of USC and UCLA, the Big Ten, the bitterness that is kind of existing, I think, up and down the conference coast, and the whole that admit, everybody admits now takes place in the middle of Southern California in the Los Angeles market, which is going to kind of be vacant for the Pac-12. So there's a lot of angles to this story that we can cover in the next couple of minutes, so you take it where you want to take it. Now, let's start with just the overall enthusiasm. You know, we think of San Diego as laid back. You can get, uh, you know, some uh, uh, great food there. You can see some waves, get some sand between your toes. How excited are people in San Diego, Lee, about the possibility of San Diego State finally getting to the Pac-12? Well, I think, I think there should be a lot of excitement, but sadly, John, there's not. San Diego State football, for all the success it has had under Brady Hoke, Rocky Long, and now Brady Hoke a second time, has not been accepted in the community. It's absolutely stunning to me that after we lost the San Diego Chargers, and I was the voice of the Chargers for 13 years before I went to Seattle to, to do Seahawks radio play-by-play, but when the Chargers defected, I thought lock, stock, and barrel, the Charger fans left behind, would put their arms around a really good San Diego State football program, and it has not happened. It's not happened for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, Mountain West Conference, nobody identifies with Wyoming, Fresno State, Boise State, despite the fact some of those schools play pretty good football. And I happen to think the landscape of the Mountain West has changed because of the transfer portal. There are a lot of quarterbacks that are showing up on these campuses that are making these teams really competitive. But San Diego, the fans have not put their arms around this. They opened, as you said, the shiny new Snapdragon Stadium, 35,000. They played their first game against Arizona, 110-degree weather at the end of August. It was atrocious conditions, a 1 o'clock day game, and the Aztecs got their brains blown out. And they never recovered from that. They had injuries. They lost all their quarterbacks. They wound up starting a fifth-string quarterback the back half of the schedule. Uh, they just weren't very good offensively and it kind of turned the town off. So you get a shiny new stadium, and they open it, and they have one big crowd, and from that point on, as they had struggled and struggled under Brady Hoke's offense and Brady Hoke's quarterback crisis, they had to struggle to get 17000 in the stadium. And this is a marketplace of $3.5 million. Go figure that out. There's 200,000 alums in San Diego County alone. They didn't care. So the big issue is would Pac-12 membership help them recruit a better caliber of player? Would the community respond because it will be Pac-12? I'm, I'm leery about that because there won't be any UCLA or USC to play against. They won't be mm. coming in here, and the Aztecs surely won't be going up there to play. 
So that that's a big issue. As, and, again, I might be the lone wolf on the street corner bringing this topic up, and I don't think they're very happy with me at State. But what does San Diego State football-wise bring to the Pac-12? Now, that that's an issue. Basketball, hey, you're going to lose UCLA. There comes Brian Dutcher with Steve Fisher's program. That's pretty good. That might be Elite Eight, Sweet 16, almost on an every-year basis. I do think they bring something there. But there's something not right in America's finest city, because I would have sworn my mortgage, John, that this community is so angry over the Chargers' ownership for yanking our heritage franchise out of here and taking it to L.A., where nobody pays attention to it, that Charger fans would have put their arms around the program at San Diego State in football, and unfortunately they have not yet. Maybe his, Brady Hope's yeah. background as a Big Ten guy, having come back from Michigan, maybe that allow him to open up more recruiting doors, get more big-time players in here, and make it a better program. But, boy, someone just have to sell me hard that, that they bring very much to the football side of the equation if, if they are one of the members. The heyday of San Diego State football. Are we talking Dan McGuire, Marshall Falk? What are we talking about? Well, the heyday was actually Don Coriel. Now, that's a long time ago, and that's a litany of really great quarterbacks and guys that went to the NFL. But that was a different world, John. You know that. Uh, you know, the academic requirements to get JUCO players in is very different than it became in the 80s, what it is now in the 2000s. Um, I, that's a long time ago. Marshall Falk was a spectacular thing. I really, I was doing Aztec football at that time, in addition to being the voice of the Chargers, John, and I thought they had arrived. I thought next stop would be in the Pac-10 conference because of Falk and what they recruited over a two- or three-year span. They were really good. Uh, you know, they, they tied USC when USC was something special, and, and they beat UCLA, and I thought, holy cow, they are right on the brink of greatness, and then it all went away because they did not continue the recruiting. They fired a coach, and, it, you know, it's been up and down, up and down till recently. These guys here, they recruit really good kids. They, quote, coach them up. These are not packed. 12 kids that they're bringing in the front door, but by the time they're done with them, these kids are going to the NFL and making rosters. But it's just its just not what it could have been based on what I saw in the early 90s during the Marshall Falk era. They just kind of let it slip away. But the Heritage was Air Coriel way back in the day. But, John, John, that's 50 years ago. Did, did you think the ship has sailed on football in general in San Diego? Because you're right, like in the, in the vacuum created by – the Chargers leaving, you would have expected that people in that market focus their attention on something. What did they focus their attention on, Lee? I watch games on TV. Uh, the Chargers used to get 31 ratings on TV here when they played in San Diego, and I was the voice of the team. They get 15 ratings now. That's still pretty decent, but I don't know if those are Charger fans watching to root Justin Herbert or watching to hate the Spanos-owned franchise. Uh, there is nobody, John... In, in the seven years have been gone, I think I have seen Charger gear, people walking around town, fitness centers, shopping malls. I think maybe five times in seven years I've seen anybody wearing anything Charger-related, even even though they've been pretty exciting the last year and a half. So they just the, these fans here watch it on TV. The TV ratings for generic NFL games still pretty good, but. They don't follow the NFL team the way they used to follow it, and they surely have not jumped onto the other street corner and are not wearing Aztec red and black, at least in football. In basketball, John, if you're ever looking to kill some time on a weekend and you're coming to San Diego, 
do it during the college basketball season, you won't bloody believe how crazy VA House Arena is. It is it is just electric. So they they would bring something really big time to the Pac-12 if it was hoops. God, if they ever added San Diego State and Gonzaga to play basketball, wow. Are we talking, though, about, you know, they're competitive in hoops. They You know, I looked at the rankings this week, and I thought, gosh, San Diego State would be like the third best team in the Pac-12 right now uh, behind uh, UCLA and Arizona. Is is it just take a winner, Lee? Are we just talking about San Diego State and football has not been a consistent winner? If they got to the Pac-12, would they then begin to draw to, strap, to Snapdragon Stadium? I think they would. Because Brady Hoke's a pretty good recruiter. I think he's a pretty good coach, even though he came through a controversy-filled season with a lot of problems with quarterbacks and transfers. And and we had a rape issue down here that was really ugly. And uh, I still think he and the guy before him, Rocky Long, did a phenomenal job. And I think if they put the Pac-12 logo on the calling card, says Brady Hoke, head coach San Diego State, with the Pac-12 logo, he would get into a lot more homes in L.A. and in the Bay Area and get a lot different player. But, you know, they, you know, one of the intangible things that they're dealing with down here, and I think they're dealing with it in places like Laramie and, and maybe Fresno and Boise, et cetera, is the NIL. They don't have the wherewithal and the money to be a player to the magnitude that the Oregon Ducks or maybe Oregon State, what the Huskies are doing in Seattle and some of the other Pac-12 schools are doing in terms of the kind of financial things they can use as a lever to get these kids to come here. They still don't have that. And I, it's a problem right now at the Mountain West Conference level. Uh, I think it would be a bigger problem, I think, at the Pac-12 level because I do think the NIL now carries clout as it relates to who's going where and why they're going. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, sportscaster, radio talk show host, writer in the San Diego market is our guest. Uh, you were there forever. You've been there forever. Uh, tell us what, you know, San Diego State has done some things with the stadium, with the university academics, added a doctorate program on campus. Is all of this, in your mind, geared towards they have wanted to be part of the Pac-12 for years and years and years, and now it's their time? Or were they just doing all this stuff because, hey, uh, you know, it's it's the right thing to do? Well, I think they, they built the stadium because they had to build the stadium because it was falling down. That's item one. Also, campus expansion. They're, they're hoping to get enrollment here in the next decade up to 50,000. And with the fact that they took over the entire Qualcomm site, some 63 acres, they're going to build academic buildings and, and, and hotels and everything. The stadium was the first item on a tract of land, but there's a lot more expansion coming there. So that was all part of a bigger picture of who they wanted to become academically. And by the way, we needed a new stadium, and they got a nice little college stadium. That's not an NFL-related stadium uh, whatsoever. Academically, I think they've gotten stronger and stronger, and I, I, I know you know that's a wink uh, from the chancellors of uh, uh, these different schools that we like their academic program. So I think there's intangible things there that are really positive. Somebody has to explain to me, uh, and this is a really tough question to pose for the Pac-12 commissioner if he ever does a Q&A with you guys, is please tell me what, what your game plan is. Are, are you going to expand just to get TV sets? Because if you take the Dallas market, the San Diego market, it's in excess of 4 million TV sets. But, George, if you're going to do that, can you please tell me how many TV sets are tuned to SMU football or San Diego State football? 
because I don't think there's a hell of a lot. So that's a big issue. Is this strictly a TV market thing? Is it a football program thing? If that's the case, do the Aztecs and SMU really bring anything? Is it, is it a basketball thing that could have great, great feedback? Aztec basketball? Yeah, maybe that would be. Uh, is it strictly a, a footprint thing? These guys would represent us in Southern California, and now suddenly our flag is planted in the Lone Star State of Texas. Is that a piece of the equation, but does it carry a lot of clout considering what SMU doesn't represent any longer? I mean, Craig James, Eric Dickerson, the Pony Express, John, that was a long time ago, and San Diego State's great success with Eric Coriel uh, was a long, long time ago. So I just think there's a whole bunch of sidebar questions that need to be asked. Uh, actually, I'm writing a column for my website at this hour before I was talking to you. What I'd like to see, and I don't know how they execute this, I'd like to see the commissioner go to UCLA and go to USC and say, you're exiting this market. You are going to play some home games here, and you're going to play Michigan State and Michigan, Ohio State once every fifth year. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to schedule your non-conference games at USC and UCLA. You schedule Washington. You schedule Oregon. You schedule Oregon State, maybe Stanford or Cal. You keep a relationship with the heritage legacy schools that were left behind when you took the money and ran. I think that would be fascinating if he could execute that because that would help keep the Pac-12 flag to a degree uh, in the L.A. market. Whether it's doable or not, that's another argument for another time. But uh, Klievkov's got his hands full because he's got to fix the mess that he inherited. He's got to find a way to make Pac-12 really relevant in the, in the city of Los Angeles, aside from the home games that Southern Cal and UCLA will play against the Big Ten boys. And then, then you know, are, are they better served to do San Diego State SMU? Should they have been better served in the middle of the night to raid the Big 12 and take Oklahoma State and maybe Texas Tech or TCU? Maybe that might have been the better way to structure growth and expansion. And then are the TV networks going to find the Aztecs and the Mustangs really sexy programs? for a mega TV contract. So, I mean, this is all like a chain link fence, John. This is all interrelated to me. It's yeah. a really complex mosaic that he's trying to glue together. Yeah, and I think, you know, look, it's it's amplified by the fact you're losing USC and you're losing UCLA, and you cannot replace those with San Diego State with a straight face. So I think what they're trying to do in the conversations I've had with George Klyovkov is yes. The answer is yes. The media world people tell you that the ratings and the brand are secondary issues. What they want first and foremost is to be able to tell their sponsors and advertisers, we can capture X number of television households. So, Lee, to answer the first part of your question, yes, they are interested in the 4 million TV households because they're trying to replace 5.7 million that left in the L.A. market. So they're interested in that. Beyond that, I do think the academic profile is interesting because I think it's going to rule out some potential partners. And, you know, I do think they need the inventory. They need the games. And whether it's putting on San Diego State against Oregon State, Oregon, Washington, Washington State, Arizona State, instead of playing USC and UCLA, uh, are they going to get the ratings? No. But they have the inventory. They can sell that to ESPN. They can sell that to Amazon. Beyond that, Lee, you know, you've worked in, in the Pac-12 footprint. You were at uh, Arizona State long time ago, years and years ago, before you came to San Diego. Uh, a lot has changed. Does it appeal to you? Would you tune in? Would you watch to see San Diego State just to see how they fare as a member of the Pac-12? Oh, I would. But then again, I'm like you. I'm a football junkie. That 
you know, that's part of my DNA. Will the average citizen? Maybe they will. Will the 200,000 alumni who don't go to Snapdragon Stadium, would they get excited? Maybe they would. But they got to win. You know, and, and the most shocking thing to me, and I've kind of gone back and forth and argued with Brady Hoke about this, is we're on the West Coast. There are great high school quarterbacks everywhere. There are, high school, there are college quarterbacks who are from here, went someplace else, didn't work out. You need to go into the transfer portal, and you need to get a thrower here. You can't be running Marshall Falk, Rashad Penny, D.J. Pumphrey offense where they run the football 45 times, play defense, and win a game 12-9. to It's just not sexy enough in what was a really good NFL city. And for the old Aztec fans, I remember really good football in the Don Coriel era from the 60s into the 70s where they threw the pill down the field all the time. So that, they've got to change the structure of what they're running here, I think, to get sexy to bring John Q. Fan back because they have not come back. Would I watch it? Sure. You know, I, I did USC Trojan football for three years, and I did Arizona State Sun Devil football uh, for the better part of seven years when I worked out of Phoenix. So I understand it. Uh, but things have to change in terms of the approach. But maybe they do change if the Pac-12 logo is on the calling card of Brady Hoke and he goes into these homes where he can, he can now get five-star guys to come play here. But, uh, you know, there's a part of me also, John, that says, geez, is, is this going to be sexy for the, in the big picture for the conference if you're adding somebody that just might hope they can compete against Washington State or mm-hmm. Oregon State or a downtrodden Stanford team? Or do you, do you really need impact people? That's why I circle back to they should have had a middle-of-the-night raid and taken Oklahoma State and, and yeah. TCU or somebody like that out of Texas. Yeah, they did. Than, in 2010, they, they, had a, they had the in the, the inside track on that and didn't pull the trigger. Uh, let me ask you something. Uh, it's off topic from what we're talking about, but your pet phrases, show me your lightning bolt, uh, use the line or lose the line, um, you know, bring your A game, don't be lame. Uh, the origin of all those catchphrases, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, like people who grew up in the San Diego area, they, they heard that stuff. Have you replaced show me your lightning bolt with anything else? Well, you know, I did sports talk radio here for 28 years, and we invented it, and we were the first ones on, on the West Coast to really make it work. And I, I was lucky enough to come here in kind of a dual position. I came here from Phoenix and Arizona State to be the voice of the Chargers, and we rode the wave of bad football to good football to, geez, we're going to the Super Bowl football. And then they left our radio station, and I wound up losing my gig, and that's how I wound up in the Pacific Northwest freelancing doing Seahawks football for three years. Hmm. But you just, as a talk show host, you develop things, and it, it, it wasn't front of mind. It wasn't looking to be tricky. It just happened. But when you do talk show radio, and I did four hours a night, John, five days a week, and we loaded it with guests like you and, and athletes and coaches, and uh, there wasn't a phone number that I wouldn't call to try to get a guest lined up. You start to develop a following, and I was not, never, ever afraid to pick a fight with somebody or call somebody a name. And, you know, some of, some of my heritage comments are, you know, Raiders Nation, out of jail, on bail, call now. Or Raider fan on a car phone <laughs> using a stolen cell phone, call now. Oh. <laughs> they used to call them the silver and black. I'd call them the silver and bleak. And I'd drive the Raider people absolutely crazy. See, you develop stuff, some call it shtick, to do what you do. And, we had a tremendous run. Unfortunately, it, it kind of ended uh, when corporate radio kind of moved into the marketplaces up and down the West Coast and changed the whole concept of local radio. And 
we could argue and scream about that uh, till the sun goes down. But um, had a good run, really enjoyed it. And then, then I went to TV, and I got the chance to do three years as a uh, lead TV sports anchor, uh, and had a, a nice run there. And I started my own website. And I'm just going to say you and John are doing a great job on what you're doing covering the Pac-12. And I have a website here, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, and I just started a podcast. No idea what the hell I'm doing, but it's blowing up. I've got like, <laughs> John, I got, I, I got, love it. I, I know you got a lot of a lot of followers because you've been doing it long enough. I got like 1,100 uh, subscribers in 10 weeks since it's been on. Good for so you. We're just, we're just doing a lot of very unique, different things, and I I love sports. I love the conference. I just. And, again, I cut my teeth at Arizona State as they were kind of coming in yeah. the front door uh, in the aftermath of the whole Frank Cush uh, era. And I was there with John Cooper and, and some of, and Darrell Rogers and some of these other coaches when the Sun Devils were starting to make a statement and became pretty good for a long period of time. But like anything else, it's cyclical. You have good runs, you have bad runs, et cetera. But uh, I do love the conference. I hope they make the right decision. I, I'm forever mortified that USC and UCLA would leave loyalty and yeah. heritage behind. Thank goodness, because at one point I really feared Arizona, Arizona State were going to be in the Big 12, or I feared somehow, some way, the Ducks and the Huskies were going to vacate, which I think it would have killed the conference if that had happened. So I'm, I'm glad they've been able to hold them together. I hope they make the right decision going forward with whatever this expansion looks like. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, you're the best. Thanks for giving us your time. John, my pleasure, and I hope your viewers and followers and listeners will check my website because it'll give you a Southern California perspective. It's a little bit different from what you got going on up in the Pacific Northwest. Hope we can talk again. Be well. Yep. LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Love that. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, the voice of sports in San Diego. Made me think a little bit about Bill Shonley uh, and some other legendary uh, personalities in the market. Anna's popped into the studio. When I uh, was telling you on the commercial break about Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and sort of how, uh, you know, he's the guy in San Diego. And, Stephen, did you enjoy Lee Hacksaw Hamilton's sort of his shtick? His energy, I did. invented radio, all that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I really enjoyed I the that. nickname Hacksaw. Like, to be able to get the nickname <laughs> Hacksaw, that, that's got to be a cool story. For people who grew up in Southern California, if you happen to be tuned into that, could you call in and explain to the other listeners what Lee Hacksaw Hamilton means to, like, the San Diego market? 503-417-7575. Help us understand it, because I went to college with a guy who was from Chula Vista, just uh, south of San Diego in the suburbs. And Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, when he heard I had Hacksaw on like weeks and weeks and months ago, he couldn't believe it. Like I had made it. And uh, Anna, you popped in here. Like, you know, who comes to mind as far as Portland or state of Oregon media personalities besides Bill Shonley? Hello, everybody. Nice seeing you again. Ed Whalen. Come on. Uh, so I missed the sweet spot for Ed Whalen. Yeah. Just missed it. Like, yeah, well, his sweet spot lasted decades. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, yeah, you came after. I came, like, when I got to the market in December of, tw of 2002, I got into the state of Oregon. Yeah. And I started working. 
I heard about Ed Whalen, but he had kind of phased out. Yeah. Like maybe within months yeah. of that. And I actually got an email from him or somebody in his family, like mm-hmm. at the time I got there, welcoming me. Yeah. I thought that was very nice looking back. But um, he had kind of phased off of television. He was on TV, right? Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. at Coin. So what was he? What would he do? That was his. He just. It was his delivery. Um, it was very congenial, very easy to listen to. But you know, when I think about it, growing up, there were a lot of like really interesting characters that did sports in Portland, broadcasting wise. You know, um, as recently as Craig Burnback <laughs> at K two, who I had the pleasure of working with. You know, he just had a way of delivering sports that was not like, anymore. Yeah, I mean, he had, yeah. he had this New York accent, East Coast guy, and uh, boy, did he love his Giants. Um, but you know, it was the way. Like, it, it, uh, there are certain sayings that he had, like when he was doing baseball, and he was like, you know, get 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 gone when you talk about a home run. Yeah, yeah. So he had certain his own catchphrases, but then there was also like Steve Arena and Ron Carlson. I don't know if you yeah, were I, I around Ron. for Ron Carlson. I knew Ron. Yeah. yeah. So Ron Carlson's thing was he just had so much fun with his sports cast. Like he threw in so many puns, and like he'd occasionally throw in some wacky like black and white video of vaudeville dancers or something. Like it was just it was a really fun uh, era of sports for for quite a while I think here in Portland. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they're uh they're making TV sports casters like that anymore. And, yeah. And what I mean by that is on some of the stations they don't give the time no. for a real sports cast. <laughs> I know. I know. You know what I mean? Like oh, I know. it's cut short. That happened kind of, you know, in during your era. Oh yeah. How much time did the sports Report used to get. Oh gosh, it used and, to be a five-minute yeah. segment, maybe four, and then which is got, a long time. Which in is TV. a long time in yeah. TV, and then eventually it got sliced and diced all the time, down to three, and I remember, um, I remember sports anchors getting really frustrated because part of the issue is that in producing a newscast, uh, the sports generally came last or second to last so if stuff happened at the beginning of the newscast you'd cut you'd cut from the bottom you know and so yeah i remember on more than one occasion um the sports people just being frustrated because it's like okay i just prepared you know four minutes of content and i got cut down to two minute 30 and and i i also remember um sometimes the anchor on a weekend because there wasn't a sports person, yeah. the anchor would be reading sports, or the meteorologist would slide in and do sports all of a sudden. It was weird. I didn't like it, and I get it. They're saving money yeah. on the weekends. But <laughs> it's kind of why, like, you know, I told Bill Shonley this the last time I visited him. We were talking about what he meant to the state of Oregon, and I was telling him how you know people loved him, and they still talk about him. And he said, you know, would we you will you still play my Twas the Night Before Christmas every Christmas? And I said, yes, I will, Sean's. And I said, you know there's no one coming after you. There's no, like, you know, Kevin Calabro, Travis Demers. They do what they do. They're not Bill Shonley. They never will be. That person, that radio person, the TV sportscaster that was on, there's some really good ones in the market. Joe Becker's great. Orlando Sanchez is great. Adam Bjornsson is great. I love those guys. Nick Krupke, love those guys. But they're not like the Ed Whalen. They don't get the time yeah. to connect with the audience. They don't have the platform and the time anymore mm-hmm. to do what 
what the sportscaster used to do. I mean, I don't know. It, it, like Travis Demers, uh, he's so young. Like he could very well become, you know, the Bill Shonley of tomorrow. Um, he's really just kind of getting started. In but I don't his think role, that think. people are consuming the game primarily via radio anymore, and they did in Shonley's era. Yeah. And he was the conduit. Yeah. He was the guy who was saying, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to paint the picture for you. Mm -hmm. And now, like, people still listen to play-by-play -play on radio. It's wildly popular, but it's so available on television that a lot of people are watching the TV and then listening to the radio broadcast right. or vice versa. You know, they're, you know, maybe they're listening to the first part of the game on the radio or mm -hmm. maybe on a weekend they're listening to a football game or a baseball game. But I don't think, like, diehard Blazer fan is consuming the game on radio like they used to. Nowhere near that. Hmm. Just don't see it. Coming up, we have so much more to talk about. Anna's here. We're going to talk about the seven wonders of sports. We started on that topic yesterday. We're going to tie it with a bow next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Yesterday on the show, I asked you to tell me what you would include in your seven wonders of sports. And we got interrupted. We kind of ran out of real estate yesterday. It's my fault. It's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever, you know, uh, suggested to your kids, hey, you know what, we should have ice cream. And then you open the freezer, and there's barely enough ice cream for one person to have ice cream. That's kind of what I did yesterday on the show, towards the end of the show. I said, hey, uh, let's talk about your seven wonders. What are the seven wonders of sports? And people were calling in saying Augusta National would be in their seven wonders. Uh, uh, you know, Wembley Stadium in London uh, talking about the seven wonders of the soccer world. Uh, Fenway Park, Wrigley Field, uh, Pebble Beach as a golf course, uh, Green Bay, Lambeau Field. Uh, what are the seven wonders of sports? I wrote some of them down. I want more, more of your submissions. So you call in right now, 503-417-7575. I want to hear from you. Tell me what you would include among your seven wonders of the sports world. How about Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky, to see a Kentucky Derby? How about, uh, you know, would you include Augusta National? Uh, if you are a diehard basketball fan, are you saying, you know, uh, Madison Square Garden, the Boston Garden, AT&T Stadium for football fans, Jerry World? What's in the seven wonders of your sports world? Give us a nomination, 503-417-7575. Anna, I can see you very carefully paying attention to this question. <laughs> You've been to a couple of Olympics. You've been to the Crow's Nest in China. <laughs> well, first I wasn't sure if these were events uh -huh. or places. Places. And as you spoke and I listened carefully, I realized you were talking about places. So the place that comes to mind for me, which admittedly I've never been to, even though I grew up here, but because it's so far south, is Bandon. Like I always yeah. hear about how yeah. great it is and how beautiful it is to golf at Bandon Dunes. And so that's like on my bucket list of places I would love to go at some point. Yes. Uh, I think that would be uh, 
That would be uh, interesting to go see that. Uh, I haven't seen that either. I know. I'm kind of What's embarrassed to say that because I'm here doing a radio show. I can't just <laughs> also, jaunt around. It's like five hours away, right? I bet I've been to Augusta. I've been to yeah. Churchill Downs. I've yeah. been to Belmont Park to watch the, the the Belmont race. You know, I've I've been to you've been to Fenway. I've been to Fenway. I've been to Wrigley. I've been to Wembley Stadium in London, as have you, but you don't remember it. I remember it. We walked into mostly. Wembley. It was a non-game day. It was open. Yeah. We were going there for something else, yeah. and the women's uh, U.S. national team was playing a game there. Uh-huh. We were like the day before we walked into Wembley, and I said, you might as well see it. You're here. This is history. We walked in and kind of went, oh, this is Wembley. Yeah. I'm not sure I fully appreciated it at No, the time. I don't think I had, you did. I didn't have the context. You were way more into, like, looking around Europe and going, you know, oh, look at <laughs> Oh, look, you're you driving can... on the rest of the yeah. street. You, uh, you did some <laughs> studying over in Europe. It did. In the college years. Yeah. Uh, this was pre-JC years. Yeah, more playing, less studying. Yeah. But yeah. But did you see any sporting events? Did you go to, like, a European soccer match? Did you uh, see <clears throat> basketball, um, football, rugby? Uh, so or there just was bars. I don't know if this really counts, but uh, I did a study abroad thing in Italy with my college, and our field trip was to Madrid, and part of the itinerary was going to a bullfight. Ooh, I'm writing that down. The Seven Wonders. Is it going to Pamplona and running with the bulls? Is that included? Well, we didn't run with the bulls, but the class did go to a bullfight. Did you see? Did they kill the bull I in didn't, the fight? <laughs> I didn't go. The class went. The class went. I didn't go. Why didn't you go to the bullfight? That's bullfight. I I had a hard time with the idea of it. Is that terrible of me? Kind of. Like, I I missed this, you know, time-honored tradition that goes back years and years in Spain. When in Rome. But I was was probably an obnoxious, you know, college student who was like, oh, it's just so cruel to animals. So I was taking my stand, and I don't know. I didn't go. Wow. I know. There you go. I know. Well, uh, Stephen, Peter, what's what did you guys decide yesterday? Because we were all kind of milling around talking about the seven wonders. And, again, I'll take your submissions at 503-417-7575. What did you guys decide had to be on the list? I think for me, um, I think baseball for America is the Nationals' pastime. So, like, I do have to throw something in there. And for me, it is Wrigley Field. Like, that was my initial thought was uh, just I think that represents a lot of, you know, not not that Chicago is a small town, but, like, it's in the it's in the city. It's in the park. Uh, you know, it's very regional. People care about it. But I think on the broader scale, like, everyone knows Wrigley Field. So I think that uh, has to be it for sure. And being a basketball fan, I do think, uh, like, Rucker Park. Would be mm. one for me. Mm. Uh, a lot of players have played there, and a lot of NBA guys have gone back and played there as well. Like I think that is really represented, representative of uh, the sport. So I think those uh, two, for me, are in there for sure. I wonder if we can put Fenway and Wrigley on the list, and I would include like I, you know, I would want to put old Yankee Stadium on it, but new Yankee Stadium is pretty nice. And uh, you know, when baseball fans talk about the best ballparks in America, they'll talk about Wrigley and Fenway, but then they'll talk about, like, Pac Bell Park in San Francisco, PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Anna, you've been to PNC Park. That was nice. It's a nice ballpark on the river there. Pittsburgh in general. Yeah, Pittsburgh's great. got... Pittsburgh. a great sports town. Pittsburgh is what Portland should be. <laughs> it's very similar. It's got a river that runs yep. through it, 
and it's brilliantly designed because it has all of the stadiums all within like essentially walking distance on the river on the river and it's great pnc heinz field all of that and on the, the river the hockey uh, yeah. arena as well portland if it ever got its act together could be pittsburgh I, I had that same feeling when we looked at the downtown. We saw the bridges. We saw the stadiums. We were like, oh, this is kind of like Portland, except it had bigger dreams than Portland has sports-wise. Let's go to the phone lines, 503-417-7575. John's in Klamath Falls listening on 960 AM. John, what do you got? Hey, I appreciate you guys covering all the sports and everything. That's pretty cool besides just football and basketball. But just real quick, uh I don't know exactly the arena or whatnot name, but how about the Calgary Stampede up there for uh, the PBR and the NFR? Yeah, uh, that is a big, big deal, the Stampede being up there in in Calgary. They are all cowboyed out. I don't know. I've been to Calgary for a CFL game. I went to do a story on the Canadian Football League very early in my career, and everybody's like, you got to come back for Stampede. Ten-day event. Uh, basically bills itself as the greatest outdoor show on earth. You're talking about chuck wagon racing and stage shows and a parade and concerts in the rodeo, and uh, that is a big deal. That's in July. So that thing was like from eight, from the 1800s to now. That's wow. got some history to it. Um, and, yes, we do more than, than just regular old ball sports here. I don't know if I could put the stampede on there, though, because – I'm talking about the seven wonders of the world. And when you say the Calgary Stampede, you know, the equivalent is the Great Wall of China, the Grand Canyon. Like, I need it to be kind of a place in Calgary. And the Stampede, I, you know, it's more of an event that captures the region. Let's go to Rock Creek. Joe is on the line. Joe, welcome to the program. Hi there, John. Um, the Month of May is always a wonderful month as far as bringing in springtime. People are looking forward to their summer festivities. And being a Medicare-aged person from the Midwest, my wonder would be the Indianapolis 500. Uh, the time trials back in the 60s where you could walk amongst uh, and see people up close like Foyt, uh, the Unzers, and the Andrettis. I mean, it was just a charming venue and through the years they have done a phenomenal job of putting on an event that is known worldwide so i would recommend that plus they have a golf course on the inside which you know if you're not into the racing play some golf yeah i like that and i like indianapolis motor speedway uh for the uh, seven wonders i i think that when we talk about motorsports you can talk about um, that you can talk about the Daytona 500, you can talk about some of the races in Europe, but I'm going to put that alongside Churchill Downs, Augusta National, Wembley, either Wrigley or Fenway, not both. Uh, what else do we have? I need what, more. Kev, what, yeah, go ahead. What do you think of the Rose Bowl? I I would consider it. I think you have to have college a college football representative. Among the seven wonders. The question is, is the Rose Bowl the best college football stadium in America? Because that's what I was trying to think. Like, I was, was trying to think college football, but I don't know what really represents the sport or what most people are going to identify with it. Yeah, I think that is, uh, you know, you talk about Michigan Stadium. You can talk about um, LSU. You can talk about Ohio State, Ohio Stadium. 
you know, if we're going to have one college football stadium, we might only be able to take one. Would it really be the Rose Bowl? I think you'd get some pushback from the rest of the country because they go, they don't even fill that place. Kelly's in Sheridan. Kelly, what do you got? Yeah, I have three. <laughs> My, number one, for the football, college football, it has to be Notre Dame. Mm. Yeah, so touchdown Jesus. I just that one. Okay. And, then, um, and then for tennis, Wimbledon, of course. And then just the classic uh, sports would be the Coliseum. Yes. The Coliseum, the original the, Coliseum. The original Coliseum. I'm telling you when um, like the one in Rome. It, yeah, but how about this? I, I was in Athens for the 2004 Olympics. You know, it was really cool. Like the opening ceremony was held at, you know, their Olympic Stadium, which was brand new. They were painting it the morning of the opening ceremony. That's so Greek. And the Greeks were like, I remember. Uh, don't laugh at me. I went to get a haircut that morning. Okay, <laughs> but which basically, man, I was going to a barber and just going, hey, shave it up. And uh, the barber was taking a nap. <laughs> when I arrived at his barber shop, okay? Yeah. It's like 2 p.m. The opening ceremony is at like 8 o'clock in Athens, okay? And I'm within eyesight of the Olympic Stadium. I can see that they're painting. And I'm looking at my watch going, they're still painting. The guy opens his door. By the way, when I got there, he's, he's napping uh -huh. in plain sight. Yeah. Like he has a sign in the window basically saying, I'm open in 20 minutes. Yeah. He is laying... On a sofa in his barber yeah, shop. It's a good life. He has a newspaper like laid over his chest. Yeah. And he's asleep. It looks like a cartoon. Yeah. And all of a sudden, 20 minutes elapses. He sits straight up, folds his newspaper, <laughs> flips the sign around, and opens the door. <laughs> and I said to him, You know, you're open? He said, Yes. And I said, Okay, you're refreshed? Yeah. And then I said, You know, broken English to Greek. He, I said, You know, they're, they're painting the stadium. He says, yeah, 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 they'll get done. <laughs> you know, that's how they looked at it. In the meantime, you went and got a euro. Yeah, let's take a break. More of your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's preparing her 5 at 5. She's all fired up about it. Should be really good. I want more of your seven wonders of the sports world. And I have some burning questions for you in the 5 o'clock hour. Mark is in Portland. Mark, what are we including on the seven wonders? Uh, you know, I'm not really into soccer, but if you're being honest, I, when I went on my trip with, to Italy and I flew through Germany uh, in 2006 when they had the uh, World Cup in Munich, I would... I would just love to be at a in Italy off the Amalfi Coast somewhere would be nice with a World Cup final with America playing in Italy. Because I that. think after the dinner wine, I'd probably be rooting for Italy. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You get swept up in the emotion of it. And, go and the go with the home two, team. Other two things. I don't care if it's at Delta Park, the Ducks finally getting to a title game and winning it. <laughs> the feeling of, of your team. And then the same with the Blazers. We haven't felt that since 77. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's been a long time for this city and the state. I think, I don't think, I think the venue is made famous. Like one of your last callers, the Coliseum is historical because, you know, Bill Walton and the Blazers, they won a championship. The Moda Center, we haven't done that yet. So, yeah, yeah we're still I think <laughs> you talk about those things. I mean, you're talking more than anything about things you want to see happen. 
We'll take more of your phone calls in the 5 o'clock hour. I want to keep this going at 503-417-7575. Also, Anna's got the 5 at 5 coming up. Plus, I'm going to ask a burning question in the 5 o'clock hour, something that's been on my mind. Uh, Alex Rodriguez made me think about this, and it's not often that A-Rod inspires a question on this show, but he did. It was something that A-Rod had happened in his career, did in his career, that made me wonder what you would do. Uh, I'll uh, pitch you my burning question coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll take more of your phone calls. Dre and Bob and some others are holding. you got much more ahead on the BFT, but we're going to start with Anna's 5 at 5. The five biggest stories next. BFT. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. I want your seven wonders. Seven wonders of the world in sports. 503 417 75. 75. I'm also going to plant my burning question in your ear, and you can line up now if you got the answer. Alex Rodriguez, when he joined the Texas Rangers, remember he left the Mariners for the Rangers. He took the money. He's making like $250 million. Play shortstop on a bad team. Remember that? Definitely was the best player on a bad team. Would you rather be the best player on a bad team? Or the worst player on a good team? You know what I'm saying, Anna? I do. You know, you're thinking about this. I know. Would you rather be the best player <laughs> on the worst team or the worst player on the best team? It's kind of like, would you rather have the best house in a bad neighborhood or the worst house in a good neighborhood? I don't know. Is that is that right? Yeah. Did I say that right? I don't know. I want both those questions answered. Plus, your seven wonders. First, though, Anna's going to give a rapid-fire five at five. The five biggest stories as Anna sees them. Go! The five at five. Number one. Anna, what's the biggest story in your mind right now? Well, this one's pretty sad, and it has a Portland connection. Do you remember Stanley Wilson Jr., defensive back for the Lions? He's died. At the age of 40, we've actually talked about him before on this show. He collapsed and died while being transferred to a hospital in California uh, at the beginning of the month. He'd been arrested for vandalism in August last year, but was ruled unfit to stand trial. He played in college at Stanford, and the Lions drafted him in the third round in 2005. An Achilles injury ended his career in 2008. He was arrested three times between 2016 and 2017, twice for attempted break-ins and once for walking around a Portland neighborhood naked. I don't know what his connection was to Portland. But some of you might remember that his father, Stanley Wilson Sr., played for the Bengals from 83 to 88. Yeah, I was looking for a connection. You know, he um, grew up in Carson, California, went to high school at Bishop Montgomery High School in Torrance. Um, he was shot by an elderly homeowner in Portland while doing that break-in that you mentioned. He was arrested a couple of times, as you mentioned, in Portland, but uh, he, uh, he needed some help. Uh, may he rest in peace. He was just 40 years old. Number two. 
Uh, yeah, I know you guys talked about this already, but this feels like a big deal. Ohio State football canceling their games against the Washington Huskies in 2024 and 25. The Buckeyes were slated to play the Huskies uh, in September of next year in Seattle and then September of 2025 in Columbus. Uh, the series would have marked the 13th and 14th matchups between the two teams. Washington will receive a $500,000 cancellation fee from the Buckeyes as part of the team's agreement. This move comes amid, of course, the expansion of the Big 10 from 14 to 16 teams. Yeah, Ohio State, Gene Smith, the AD there, said th this will allow them to add an extra home game. They've got, uh, you know, six home games in the 2023 schedule, but 2024, they'll get an extra home game because it's the first time UCLA and USC are members of the Big 10. And then they're going to add an eighth home game. Washington's very disappointed. Ohio State's paying the $500,000 penalty, knowing that they're going to make far more by having a home game. Really going to be difficult for Washington to find an opponent. They're going to have to pay for one. It's going to cost them more than $500,000, and they're not going to get Ohio State quality to come on short notice in 2024. This is disappointing for the Pac-12 and for Washington. Number three in the five at five. Anna, go. Herm Edwards. Finding a way to stay relevant. Herb. So this is interesting. So he goes off on ESPN, you know, the network that he works for, uh, for their massive Cowboys hype. He's saying, you know, this whole notion that they are America's team, that he's just done with it. He says it's always about the Cowboys. We have to talk about these guys all the time. Why do we have the Cowboys even in the conversation at number six? Yeah, look, he said he's done. He's had enough of it. No need to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, why didn't we just stop at the top five, Herm Edwards said. No surprise. Uh, you play to win the game, as Herm says. Do you agree with him? I know why they talk about the Dallas Cowboys, and Herm knows too. It's because Dallas is popular. Dallas is a big TV market. Same reason why the Pac-12 is interested in SMU. You know, That's it's why? the Dallas TV market. Come on. This is evident. There are, you know, nobody wants to talk about the Tennessee Titans as part of the off-season football chatter because, uh, you know, you have a small TV market in Nashville. It, this is the same reason why the Lakers will get the headlines. Boston Celtics, New York Knicks, Dallas Mavericks, Miami Heat. Chicago Bulls, it's all about media market, TV. When you tune into these shows and the shoulder programming that you watch on ESPN in particular, I want you to ask yourself, don't look at the teams, look at the media markets they're talking about all day long. It's big markets. They aren't talking about Sacramento. They aren't talking about New Orleans. They're talking about Miami, Chicago, Dallas, New York, Chicago, They're just trying to hit LA. the biggest bullseye. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Number four in the five yeah, of four. five. Uh, Michael Jordan celebrating his 60th birthday wow. by donating $10 million to Make-A-Wish. That's so cool. His donation is the largest ever received from an individual in the organization's history. 
He's saying, for the past 34 years, it's been an honor to partner with Make-A-Wish and help bring a smile and happiness to so many kids. Witnessing their strength and resilience during such a tough time in their lives has been truly an inspiration. I think it's really interesting to wonder, how many points, Stephen, how many points could Michael Jordan score in an NBA game at age 60? Not many. I bet you he could get 10 points. How many minutes has he played? He's playing the whole game. Yeah, you're probably right. 10's probably right. <laughs> That's not a lot, though. Yeah, you know, but, you know, look, I still think he could score. They'd have to foul him. He'd have some <laughs> bad moments. Let's not let's not lie. He'd be able to get that fadeaway off at least a couple times. Yeah, he'd have some bad moments. He'd have to be that squirrely guy in the gym with two knee braces on who scores, you know, four points in the – Game to 11. Michael Jordan, 60. Man, what happened? What happened to time? I will always see him at, you know, he's about 26, 27 in my mind. Always forever. Finally, the fifth thing in the five at five. Hannah, go. I couldn't resist. The uh, backup quarterback for the Chiefs, Chad Henney, announced his retirement from the NFL. Um, But he also shared in an interview, uh, post-retirement, I guess, where he let it slip that Patrick Mahomes has some interesting superstitions. So in an interview on ESPN, Henny revealed that one of the stranger aspects of the Chiefs' uh, routine is that he wears the same pair of red underwear for every game. Every game. He washes them? I'm assuming. I'm hoping. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't need to know that, Chad. By the way, he's guys had a pretty good life as a non-starter in the league. Like he did start some games back in the day. He started 13 games for Jacksonville in 2013. But after that, he played 6 seasons including 4 in Kansas City, and he had one start. That's a lot of clipboard holding. And uh, a good living and a couple of Super Bowl championships. Maybe this is the start of Patrick Mahomes' underwear line. Maybe to get, compete with Tom Brady. Get some of those Brady skivvies. <laughs> Maybe Tom will send him some. Every pair is red. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the five at five. At least they. Yeah, okay, I'm not gonna say it. Uh, that's the five at five. Five biggest stories going on. I want to know about your wonders. Who? What should we include among your seven wonders? I also want to know. Would you rather be the worst player on the best team? Or the best player in the worst team. 503-417-7575. I'll take a couple calls here, and we'll uh, bleed this into the next segment. Dre is in Portland. Dre, seven wonders. Jay, I got it. one of your guys mentioned Rucker Park. And yes. I thought about that for a minute, and I'm, I'm rolling with that. I feel that because it's not like some extravagant place that's been built that everybody has to go see and – travel to and do all this it's two baskets man think about that that's true that's it's organic yes. right especially when you watch the old videos of dr j and like i would love to go see that back in the day not now i don't care about going to see it now with the mc and doing all that stupid <laughs> stuff i'm talking about back in the day when people were hanging out their apartment building complexes and i mean it, it just sounds amazing you you want to go see the fly play. 
you know. I want to go. I want to go see that type of like Marvin the Eraser, Webster, those type of people that used to come. Yeah. You know. Yeah, there's a book. Have you read guys that never made it? There's a book. Uh, Rick Tellender, the former Chicago columnist, he wrote a book called Heaven Is a Playground, and he wrote about uh, Rodney Parker, Albert King, Fly Williams. Uh, you know, in Rucker Park and all of that. Uh, heaven is a playground. Check that out, Dre. Hey, and, I, and I'd rather be the worst player on the best team. I'm going to tell you that right now. Why? Because I want to win. <laughs> there you go. I look back on it and say we won, and I was part of it. Even, I, even if I was the worst, I yep. was part of the winning. They'd, everybody care. would forever look at Dre and go, you know what, Dre's, Dre's got five rings, but he's on a really good team. Rucker Park getting some uh, serious consideration. Let's go to Kent, who is in Portland. Kent, your uh, your wonders of the sports world. What do you got? I think it's tough to beat the atmosphere of college sports all the way around. And so I got two in relation to this. It goes for football. Baton Rouge for a night game. You got Mike the Tiger prowling around. The fans are going nuts. They've been tailgating for 10 hours. And the band plays neck, and that place just goes nuts. I like it. I like um, it. And I, I think... It's tough to bring college basketball into this, but Cameron Indoor has something to be said for it as well. you got the Tobacco Road rivalry. People have been camping out to get good seats there. The student section, the crazies. Um, nice, small, intimate setting. Cameron Indoor for college basketball. Okay, I like that. I'm putting them both down on my list. Now, would you rather be the best player on the worst team or the worst player on the best team? You know, personally, I'm going best player on the worst team. Nice to get a ring, but uh, nobody remembers the worst player on the best team. Um, and the the worst player on the or the best player on the worst team is also getting paid. Yeah, there you go. Kent in Portland says he'd rather be Damian Lillard than Chad Henney. I want your take. Best player on the worst team, worst player on the best team. Plus, help me out with your seven wonders at five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Here's where we stand on our seven wonders. Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, Wembley Stadium, Augusta National, Churchill Downs, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, Notre Dame uh, College Football Stadium, Rucker Park, uh, Tiger Stadium, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Cameron Indoor Arena in, uh, at Duke. Uh, I like to throw that cornfield out from uh, Field of Dreams. You know, is it Iowa? No, it's heaven. One of the seven wonders? Why not? I want your nominations for the seven wonders of the sports world. I'll probably publish this at johnconzano.com. Ask the readers what they think, but uh, it starts here on this radio show. Let's go to Kevin, who is in Portland. Kevin, what's on your mind? Well, John, I think you got to put Wimbledon in there. Uh, oh, my wife and I had the opportunity to travel there, sit center court in 2014, and uh, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. The beauty and the quiet and then the, the roars and the ability of players. And we're there... trying to get all to all the majors. So we got to the U.S. Open last year, and we're in this May. We're headed to France for the French Open. But please consider Wimbledon. All right, it's on my list. Tell me, is there a bad seat in the house? Because I've heard people say 
it, there isn't a bad seat in the house. Is that true? Yeah, there isn't. I mean, as far as we got to sit in the end zone, we were lucky we got tickets to the USTA, so we got really fortunate. We didn't have to go with the back and forth with the neck and everything, but we uh, we got there super early just to go sit there. <laughs> you know, it wasn't even, they weren't even warming up yet. I mean, it was just one of those things where you just feel like you're in a chapel. I mean, it's just crazy how beautiful it is. Now, a lot of our listeners have not been to a tennis match, and, you know, most of the time know. in, mo- in most sporting events, Kevin, you you want to be at center court, down low, uh, right at midfield. But in tennis, you're here to tell us that's not a great seat because you're going to be like a windshield wiper back and forth. Yeah, you know, there's so many great places to watch. But I think just being there and then just the ambiance of the whole thing. I mean, you know, there's 17 courts going. You can walk around and watch. They, the thing that I appreciated was they sold used balls. And so I bought a bunch of cans of used balls, and the guys that I play with, I brought them back a ball that says Wimbledon 2014 on it. And, you know, New York's the same way. There's all these courts and all these great players, and you're so close to them. It's just uh, amazing, really. Is there, like, you know, when you go to Augusta, they have, you know, the the sandwiches are, like, still, like, $2. And, you know, they don't gouge you until you get into, like, the merchandise tent. At Wimbledon, is it does it cost you an arm and a leg? That's yeah, pretty reasonable. You know, we did the the uh, strawberries and cream just to to do that because that's kind of you know iconic or whatever. And we ate pretty inexpensively. You know, you get a pizza or something and share it. But you know, we didn't go high end on the food. We tried to go high end on the tickets, and yep. we were over there for a couple weeks because we left there and went to Ireland for uh, about ten days to travel. But I tell you, it was one of the highlights of my life. I've been to a lot of great sporting events, but uh, I told my wife, don't ever buy me anything ever again. She got it for my birthday, and I just thought, <laughs> man, that's pretty. Can't top that. And then we got to go to the U.S. Open this year, and then to be able to go to the French, and then two years we're going to go to the Australian. So we just Good for wait. you. All right. Give us an update after you go uh, to those other two. I appreciate the phone call. Uh, good stuff. Fred is in Camus. Fred, what do you got? Fred, welcome. Hey, are you there? Yeah, you're on. Seven hey. Wonders. Go ahead. Hey, hold on. I want to get you all speakerphone. Hold on here. Okay. Yeah, so, so here's my whole thing. Um, I'm an officer brat from the Air Force. Okay. I've been all over the world, right? And I've seen many venues. And I want to divvy it up into three different places. Okay. One, the best sport venue, right, is, is a split between... The Seattle Mariners, the, 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 you know, the Seahawks, right? Right. For football. I want to put the Boston Fenway as far as baseball. And for music, I'm going to put the George George Amphitheater, which is number one voted by the concert people for concerts. In All, right. All right. Let me ask you, Fred. You're at that concert. And uh, you can have anyone in the world performing. Who's performing? Oh, Oh, it's going to be guess who's out of Seattle. Remember, I went to University of Washington during grunge. So guess who's going to be? Pearl Jam. You got Pearl Jam performing in your concert. I love that. Peter, who's performing in your concert? Anyone in the world? Front row seat. Front row seat. That's a that's a great question because I mean there's really no wrong answer. They have to still be active. Have to still be going. 
Let's say they have to be alive. Okay. Uh, we're going to get uh, Faith No More back on the road for one more tour. I'm going to see Elvis. Still alive. <laughs> I got you. I was like, do you mean like Costello? Because that'd be good too. No, I'm mad at myself. Okay, this is just a me thing right now. I've been thinking about this. Like, you know, the other day I talked about I got to see Prince perform at the Super Bowl, and he did this news conference, and he played for 11 minutes. He played Johnny B. Good. It was just phenomenal to see Prince that close. Anna and I were there uh, as media members. We were in the front row of the news conference. We happened to be wandering through the media center. Super Bowl, this is like 2008. Prince is performing. We see Prince walk through the media center. We're like, hey, let's go to the news conference. And we got in. We got a front row seat. And he, he played for 11 minutes. He just played a concert, mini concert right there. And I was like, that's awesome. You know what I'm mad at, though? I never saw Michael Jackson. I never saw, I have not seen Madonna. I Like, like the artists that were known as performers in my lifetime, I'm mad that I uh, I missed out. Like, I didn't have the wherewithal to go, hey, you better go see Michael Jackson while you can. I never did that. And, you know, I was a kid. It was, you know, in the 80s. I was 10, 15, 18 years old. I should have seen Michael Jackson. Mad at myself for that. Now, Stephen, you're not a concert guy. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anyone you'd want to see? No. Not really off the top of my head, no. This doesn't do it for you. It just doesn't, no. I don't know why. I, I like all types of music. Like, I can listen to the car. I listen to all types, but, like, just seeing it live, it just does not do it for me. Yeah, and I'm not like like Michael Jackson for me would have been just just to see the entertainment of it. It would be like seeing Willie Mays have an at bat in his prime in your lifetime. Like you know, I was too young to have seen Willie Mays in his prime, but I was not too young to have seen Michael Jackson in his prime, and I didn't have the awareness to go, hey, I better go check that out. Kevin's in Sandy. Kevin, what do you got? Um, I was going to go with uh, formerly known as Safeco Field. Um, okay. I think it's just a great, uh, back in like 99, pre-steroid era, me and my father saw Alex Rodriguez hit a double line drive, and the uh, crack of the bat just echoed through the entire baseball field. Um, it was just kind of one of those field of dream moments where you just had to respect, like, it was a double, just just the hit, just you could hear the echo of it through the entire stadium. Um, just much more spread out, say, like, I've been down to San Francisco to Giants Stadium, very crowded, you're very crammed in, very packed in, so I think it's just all around a beautiful stadium. And um, I also have to say that um, the Aladdin Theater, great venue, if you want to see, like, some old rock stars that are a little washed up, like, say, Ace Fraley from KISS I saw, like, three rows back. Look for those names, because it's a little hole in the wall, but you can see some great names out of the Aladdin Theater. All right, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you. Yeah, he mic dropped me right there. Uh, Dave is in Vancouver. Let's let Dave have the last one on the Seven Wonders front. Dave, what do you got? Yeah, so I have an interesting uh, twist on this. Okay. So what if, what if you had to pick one uh, stadium per per continent? There's seven <laughs> continents. Okay. okay. All right. I have one definite answer. The rest are really tough. You'd have to Google the crap out of that. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's say Antarctica. Okay. I bet there's like a little temporary housing little place because people don't live there permanently. And I bet there's a room with like two ping pong tables. And I bet that's the best stadium on the on the whole continent. Yeah, they've got um, in Antarctica, the crown jewel there is called McMurdo's Big Gym. Um, and they uh, they have a climbing wall and a basketball venue in there, and uh, that's it, man. But that's not see that's not that's not the sportiest continent in the world. Like, you know, you need. I think you need to go and say, like, forget geography. If the seven best places are in the United States, then so be it. But they're not. Like, I love the caller who called in with Wimbledon, Wembley. Uh, Pamplona, the Bulls. Um, I think, you know, we've talked about um, El Stadio Azteca. We have uh, talked about Augusta National. Uh, we have talked about, you know, going to uh, the French Open or the British Open in golf. Uh, you guys, you know what you haven't dealt with is I haven't heard from Steven or Peter. Do you want to be the best player in the worst team or the worst player in the best team? Now, are you saying the absolute worst team, like like the worst team? In professional sports. So let's quantify it. Like, From your standpoint, worst NBA team, you're going to be the best player in the worst team in the NBA. Are you going to be the worst player on the best team that, in the NBA? It makes it different because I've had this conversation where, like, would I rather be Robert Ory or Charles Barkley in my career? And it's Charles mm -hmm. Barkley for sure. Like, I would much rather be Charles Barkley than have all those rings of Robert Ory where he's just a role player. Um, but if you're talking, like, the worst team in the NBA, I probably would pick, like, would pick I'd probably pick the, the worst player on the best team. Yeah, you're, you're like on the Rockets bench, and you're, you're not really getting into the game. I'm like Matt Bullard. Or, excuse me, you're, you're on the Rockets team, and you are the star. Or you're, like, the, you're the worst player at the end of the bench on, you know, a team that wins the NBA title. Yeah, I probably would win the title in that circumstance. Like, I kind of feel like it would be somebody on the Celtics or the Bucks. Yeah. If I'm Peyton at this Pritchard. Point. Oh. Nah, he's not the I worst just, player on the best team. Uh, what about Peter Sampson? We have not heard from Peter Sampson on this front. We'll get him after the break. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Just catching you up uh, on what's going on in the world. Brent Yormark, the Big 12 Conference Commissioner, joined John Wilner and myself earlier today uh, in an extended interview. You can get the full interview uh, by searching for the Gonzano and Wilner podcast, wherever you get podcasts. But uh, Yormark talked about negotiating the media rights early. He talked about what he's looking for in expansion. And, and he said that the Pac-12 and the Big 12, they're not fighting, despite the fact that they are kind of fighting. And uh, here's a little snippet. I, I just want to you know, kind of go on the record. No one's fighting. I mean, I, I have a great relationship with George. You know, we have a collegial re re relationship. I've known George for years. You know, I believe in this industry that you can partner with 
all of your colleagues and all for all the right reasons. But at the same time, know that from time to time, you're going to compete. And that's the world we live in. That's the world I came from. Uh, you know, when I was the CEO of the Brooklyn Nets, you'd be at board meetings with your contemporaries from around the league. And everyone is thinking about what's in the best interest of the sport and the NBA. And then you leave that room and you also know that as much as you've spent three or four days thinking about what's in everyone's best interest, you are all going to compete for players. You're going to compete in a, in a particular market. Um, and, and I use that mindset here too. I mean, I, I, I look to partner with all of my colleagues in the power five as often as I can. And when the opportunity exists, but there is going to be those moments when we compete and that's just life. So we're not, going after the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is not going after us. George and I have a nice relationship. The media has turned it into something different. But from my standpoint, I have a good relationship with all of my colleagues. It's important to me on a personal and professional level to grow those relationships. But in time, but it, there will be those moments where we compete, and that's okay. Look, I get with the premise, and I understand the premise of what he's saying, I want you to listen to the full podcast, though, get all the context. But you can't sit back and say that after you've said we're open for business and after you've said, hey, we're expanding aggressively. And the grenades that have been launched, uh, the things that have been said, the consultants and the PR crisis management teams that have been turned loose, you can't say that you, uh, you don't find yourself at odds. Uh, these two entities um, – mostly don't like each other and it doesn't have to be that way i actually thought today him saying that was a step in the right direction i i hope that they extend that olive branch and that they can coexist with the pac-12 and others in the ecosystem because it isn't good for the, for business it just isn't let's go to the phone lines we're talking about the seven wonders of the sports world i also want to know if peter sampson are you going to be the best player on the worst team or the worst player on the best team uh, you know, I would love to say I'm all about winning and I want to be the, the worst player on the best team so I can get a ring. Uh, but I'll tell you what, you know, a lot of times in life you get tired of renting and I want the payday. So, uh, I'm going to go ahead and be the best player on the worst team and cash in. I love that. You'd be a rod on the Texas Rangers. hundred percent, baby. But $256 million richer. Darren is in scapoose. Darren, how you doing yeah, out there? I, I was the worst player on the pitch. Don, I was on a little tiny island in Belize, and the, the poor kids were paying 50 cents to light the field. So I just would go to give $5 to the, the head guy, and they let me play with them. And they were like, is, and I was like, they ran around me like, no tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually seen the soccer in Belize on the island of San Pedro in the fields. It's like the Dominican Republic. It reminded me of that with the field conditions and rocks and bumps, and it's not there wasn't grass on the field. It was just dirt and tremendously skilled players. Uh, Marcus is in Beaverton. Marcus, we're talking about the seven wonders of the world. Hey, John. First time, long time. Um, Thank I've you. been listening to all of the people uh, kind of articulate where they think the best places to go, and I think there's something that's being overlooked just in our own backyard okay. is Hayward Field. Hayward Field, the home of U.S. Mm -hmm. track and field, kind of niche. We've gone through the 
major sports complexes, the Augusta Nationals, the Lambeau Fields. There is no better place on earth, and Homer bias applies, but nonetheless, I think there is no place better on earth to watch a track meet than Hayward Field, new or old. All of the legendary people who have come through, uh, former Ducks, former international competitors, I just don't think there's anything that tops it. I mean, Steve Prefontaine, Mac Wilkins, um, just... Usain Bolt's been there, Michael Johnson. You know, there's an unbelievable number of names that you can go down the list that our own state has hosted. So I thought that that would be worth throwing in the mix. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept it. I also think, you know, the the, the stadium in Texas, uh, I think it's Michael Myers Stadium in Texas, is uh, one of the great outdoor track and field venues. I think worldwide, uh, London Stadium. I was there in 2012 at the Summer Olympics in London. Really special, multi-purpose outdoor stadium in uh, Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park there. Um, really a cool venue. The sad ones are, I was at the Crow's Nest in Beijing. Phenomenal venue. Amazing, just stunning. And like a lot of Olympic venues, they just they, they turn out the lights after the Olympics and uh, you know there's, there's no, nothing else going on there. And that happened in a lot of the swimming and diving venues after the Olympics in Athens in 2004 happened again in Beijing. There's like weeds that pop up. I've seen several journalists do stories on that front. Uh, pretty, pretty interesting to kind of watch all that as it, uh, as it unfolds. I got one more for you, John. Um, what about, uh, it's not even a, uh, not even where you have events, but Nike headquarters. I mean, could you put that mm-hmm. on the seven wonders? I'll throw it in there. I'll give it consideration. I'm probably not going to make it one of the final seven because of the commercial part of it. Like, how do you put that against Wimbledon, Augusta National, Churchill I mean, Downs? Because Nike is worldwide. Like you do. I mean, you do because you say Nike built this global empire, and here's where it happened. But I, I still think if I said to people, would you rather go to Wimbledon or Nike headquarters? They're going to say Wimbledon, Augusta, fair, Indy. You know. But I, I don't blame you throwing it out there. That's part of the discussion. That's why we bring it up. We had a caller, and if, forgive me, the phones have been ringing like crazy, so if this already got brought up, uh, apologies. But uh, the North Shore on a, at Oahu, man, watching yeah. the surfers, that's a great one because it's natural. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would have to put in there, there's probably some, the North Shore would be there. There's probably some surf venues that I'm not familiar with in Australia that would get consideration in Brazil and other places. But, man, we're on to something here with the seven wonders of the sports world. Uh, I've not heard people talk about this before. We're on to something here. Punch It Audio's coming up. We got the best sound from all around. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I'm doing this late in the show, but mostly because we had Lee Hacksaw Hamilton on today. He went long in the 4 o'clock hour, and uh, Punch and Audio got pushed back. Uh, I'm going to catch you up on everything that you need to know. What's the best sound? What are they saying? What did it sound like? Here we go. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. 
Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's talk about Shaden Sharp with the Blazers. Possibly, quite possibly, the dunk of the year in the NBA. Baseline, grazed his head on the backboard. Here's how it sounded. Punch. Walker finally sees Nas now to Sharp in the corner. Let's go, let's go. Ball let's go. Oh, my goodness. Shaden Sharp cocks it back and hammers it down. Gravity knows no bounds for Shaden. Knows no bounds, and yet he's not part of the NBA's dunk contest in Salt Lake City, part of All-Star Weekend. Why not, guys? Why no Shaden Sharp in the dunk contest? I mean, it, it hasn't been said, but I feel like uh, this may have been a Trailblazers decision. You know, they knew there was going to be some trades being done at the trade deadline, which was going to open up some more minutes for Shaden Sharp. So I think they just kind of wanted him to focus on that. Um, you know, I've heard some rumblings about some work ethic stuff with Shaden. I think they just kind of want to get him focused on the actual game rather than doing the extra stuff. Like, he's already proven he may be the best dunker in all of basketball. He doesn't need a dunk contest to do it. I think it's more about on-court production. I think that's why. All right, I get it, but it's a dunk contest, and I think the All-Star fans are getting robbed. Todd McShay talking about the draft. Bryce Young, he has him going number one in the draft. He thinks he is Patrick Mahomes' light. What does he mean by that? Here's McShay. Punch it. I think he's special. And, and listen, he's undersized, and that's going to be the whole conversation leading up to the draft. Five ten and a half is what I was told by an NFL scout who went and measured him in the summer. And when I talked to him before the Mississippi State game, he said, I bulked up to about 193, and he's working with a nutritionist. It's just, it, it's not normal for his frame to be over 200, but I think he's going to get there. So the biggest concern is, can he stay durable and healthy throughout his career? But I think he's a smaller version of Patrick Mahomes. The presence he has in the pocket, the ability to feel pressure coming, the ability to make to see the whole field and make all the throws with really good touch and timing, he's, a di he's different than all these other guys. I sit here and I watch tape over and over again, and I, Will Levis has a great arm. Anthony Richardson's the most physically talented. C.J. Stroud had an unbelievable career at Ohio State, but Bryce Young is different. Yeah, I'm looking at Bryce Young, and I'm going, I don't see, you know, he. I don't think he's going to measure in the combine at six feet. I think he's going to be under six feet tall. I think it's going to hurt him. Um, I also think he's a really good player. He's an interesting player, but I think he's too big of a risk at number one. Still, Todd McShay and a whole bunch of other people have Bryce Young that high on the board. We'll see how it happens. Do you think the injury to Kyler Murray and the Russell Wilson saga happening to Denver has hurt Bryce mm. Young a little bit, being a small quarterback? Maybe. I also always look at the top of the draft, and I go, who's drafting? Because all it takes is one, uh, you know, to believe in you. And But I think you're right. Like, if you are one of the top teams in the draft, and you're looking at, it's always about avoiding risk at the top of the draft. And, you know, general managers are willing to stick their neck out if they think they have a no-brainer there. My question is, is he a no-brainer? I don't even hear that from McShay, who has him going number one. So, 
I, I don't know. A lot can happen between now and the draft. I've seen smart GMs who have lasted a long time in the league move back from that number one spot, pick up picks, pick up players, take an offensive tackle or a defensive tackle that they just love at five or seven, and get better. I'll be curious to see what happens at the top of the draft, though. Um, a whole bunch of people mocking this out with Bryce, Bryce Young as the number one pick. Jim Trotter covers the NFL. He challenged Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, at the news conference in the run-up to the Super Bowl. Works for NFL.com. Trotter joined Richard Deitch on the sports media podcast to talk about, have there been repercussions? Has anyone from the league office contacted Jim Trotter to try to say, hey, we're doing more? Trotter was upset that he doesn't have a person of color as a boss or a manager or an editor on the NFL.com side of the operation. Here's Trotter. Punch Have it. you heard from anyone at the NFL on the uh, on the question and the issue that you discussed with Roger Goodell? I've not heard from anyone from the league office. I've not heard from the senior manager in the newsroom. I've heard from one person, and that is one of the editors um, in the newsroom who I was pass crossing paths with. Um, as I entered the stadium and we had a conversation um, just about why I asked the question that I had I asked and where he is on this whole issue and that is it and, that, and and truthfully Richard I think that's the most disappointing thing to me is is that if you're serious about this I mean really serious about it genuinely serious about it and I raised this question to you a year ago and no one from the league office has reached out to me one time to say, let's have a conversation and see if we can come up with ways to address some of these issues. It makes me question whether or not you're really that serious or whether you're, all of these statements are just performative gestures to kind of deflect what's actually going on. I mean, it's impossible for you to answer, but I just will ask you sort of where your instinct lies. Do you anticipate someone will... Um, contact you no. in the near term no. no if you haven't done it by if you haven't done it by now well, why would you do it going forward i got news for jim trotter like i had a high school football coach he's a military guy he used to say talk is cheap takes money to buy whiskey now i was in high school i didn't quite know what that meant but it was a cool thing to say like jim trotter's brought this up two years in a row the nfl hasn't done anything to this point it's not a conversation there's no waiting action there's words and there's action. There's no action by the NFL. It, it just means it's not a high priority for the NFL. It's one of those sad, alarming, but true facts. Roger Goodell, do better. Ian Rappaport reporting that Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, will interview with the Washington Commanders for their offensive coordinator job. Here's Rappaport. Punch it. A key interview for the Washington Commanders. Still have not yet hired an offensive coordinator. It has been forever, but... The reason they waited, my understanding, is they wanted to talk to Eric Bieniemy. He's considered to be a strong candidate there, and the plan is to leave the parade tonight, assuming he and James Palmer as well can get out, go have dinner with some brass, including Ron Rivera, uh, in Washington, and then meet tomorrow 
for his formal interview. They also interviewed Greg Roman. That was yesterday. That is the only interview that the Washington Commanders has scheduled as of now. So, so presumably, they will make a decision. And, and as far as Eric Bieniemy, I know people wonder, why would Eric Bieniemy take a lateral job? Why is he even able to? First of all, he allowed his contract to lapse, so he has no contract for next year. That gives him some mobility. He is also not the uh, premier play caller, not the only, the primary play caller, I should say, the Kansas City Chiefs. Andy Reid obviously has a big role in play calling. He went to the Commanders with a defensive head coach in Ron Rivera. He would run the show, he would be the play caller, and potentially put him in a better position to eventually earn a head coach job. Yeah, it's, the end part of that is the best part from Rappaport. Because Eric Bieniemy has come to a realization probably last year, two years ago, that he wasn't going to get serious consideration for jobs because nobody saw him as the play caller in Kansas City. He's got Patrick Mahomes. He's got Andy Reid over his shoulder. It's a little bit like Dan Lanning at Georgia having Kirby Smart over his shoulder. Uh, you know, I'm told by other football coaches, I asked some coaches, texted some coaches, and said, why isn't Biennemi getting hired? And they said that the reputation is that he's not the guy calling the plays in Kansas City. So I think it's a smart move by Biennemi. Move laterally, go to the commanders, prove that you can call plays, prove that you uh, have that have learned something in Kansas City, because I think as long as Andy Reid is looking over his shoulder, he's not going to get that respect. Brett Yormark, Big 12 Conference Commissioner. He joined John Wilner and I on the Kanzano and Wilner podcast. We talked expansion. What's Yormark looking for with expansion candidates? So when I think of expansion, I think about it in, in, a, in a couple of ways. Performance, cultural fit. Um, I, I also look at time zone and geography. Um, and it, it, so, you know, we, we go through this modeling, if you will. Um, uh, you know, is it the right fit for us? And, um, you know, I can I continue to, to think about expansion for all the right reasons, and what's going to be additive to our conference. Look, looking for additive media markets, brands, time zones. In Brett Yormark's case, the time zone matters more than the Pac-12's possible expansion candidates. Like, the Pac-12's not going, we need to get into that eastern time zone, at least not with any public enthusiasm. Brett Yormark really wants to get into the Pacific time zone. But I think the Big 12's best way to do that is either to be to pivot to men's basketball and say, hey, we're going to chase Gonzaga or somebody like that, or go after Boise State, Fresno State. I think that's their best way, best path into the Pacific time zone. We're back tomorrow with another great show. Thanks for everybody for listening. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.